0: This is Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. Every week, we review an episode of the Cult Classic time travel series and decide whether it holds up to present-day viewing, and hopefully, we'll entertain you along the way. Be sure to check us out on our website, FWWQuantumLeapPod.com, and also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Fate's Wide Wheel. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hello, everybody. Hello. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Happy February. Happy February. Happy March. May, April 2020, or whatever
0: year you may be listening to this into. 2040. 2040. Yes. Someone. It's out there. (laughs) Somewhere. We are in a unique situation. We are. For the first time ever in this podcast, aside from the pilot episode where we had to re-record 30 minutes, but we did that on the same day.
1: Yeah. Yes. Because I was still learning how to work with all the equipment. Yes. Uh, So we have actually already recorded uh, A Leap for Lisa, but unfortunately we were recording on Skype. We we had two recordings just in case anything went wrong. We thought everything would be great. Uh, Due to lag um, during the conversation and then overall audio quality, it just, it unfortunately just didn't work. So our deepest apologies to Larry Ganey, who joined us as a guest host for that episode, Due to scheduling, he won't be able to join us today, um, but we're still going to have some of his comments within... He's going to record his own yeah. commentary,
0: and then we're going to plug it in
1: right. at some point. So you'll, so you'll so. be able to listen to his thoughts. Um, the conversation itself, you know, it, it, was, it was good, but it just, unfortunately, due to the technical difficulties that we were having, it didn't feel like it lived up to... Our high standards, yes. of quality.
0: <laughs> there, 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 was a lot. One of us would start talking, and because of the lag, one of us would start to say something. Oh, oh, you're going to say. Oh, go ahead, go yeah. ahead, say that thing, say that. Th- and there was just a lot of that, and it could not be fixed with editing. Uh, yeah. So here we are. the The beauty is, is that our thoughts hopefully will be a little bit more concise uh, because we we've expressed a lot of these thoughts last week. We've been able to to work them out. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, so we'll see what happens here. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this preface because we put a thing on on Facebook saying that we were delayed a week, and a couple people said that they so look forward to hearing us talk about one of their favorite episodes, <laughs> I know. Of, one of their favorite episodes of the series. So I'm gonna front load this conversation by saying this, um, and I know this from last week's conversation. Uh, we are gonna pick this episode apart. Uh, we're, we, we do have some critical thoughts about it, uh, but like I said last week. Uh, It's kind of like Al said in Good Morning Peoria, you only pull the pigtails of the one you love. Yes. We do have some critical thoughts about this episode, but we say it with love. Uh, And I think we say it because of the fact uh, all of us, you and me, including Larry, like we all had fond memories of this episode. We hold it in such high regard. But then upon rewatch 20 years later, 20 plus years later, uh yeah yeah you you notice know, you notice some things
1: yeah and, and 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 I you know I'll add to that that it it's hard to separate those fond memories from our reevaluation of the episode because I certainly feel a lot I still feel a lot of that it, it, you know if somebody were to mention the episode title my brain would not go straight to the critical assessment that we've given it it would go to a fonder place mm-hmm. you know it would, it would it would go to my my graduation goggles and i would just look at oh, it and i would look at absolutely. it and be like oh that's yeah but i i do think that in all fairness that that yeah the episode has some issues um that watching it now are fairly glaring um and and so we're definitely going to dig into that but it's not all going to be bad we certainly have some very nice things to say about it um, and, and I, I think that it's an episode that we have been looking forward to getting to uh, much you know I think that that's the difficult thing about this episode it would be easy to put it up in line with other season finale season premieres like M.I.A. Leap Home Shock Theater Leap Back all that sort of you know iconic episodes of Quantum Leap but when we got to it I think that there was a little bit of disappointment compared to our feelings when we evaluated those other four episodes I just mentioned. Absolutely. So that's kind of where we stand, so we just want everybody to know that, but I hope that you will you will listen along with us, and, and you know, if you disagree, let us know. Shout out, let us know. We're always happy to continue the conversation. So all of that said, yeah. here we are. A Leap for Lisa. Uh, this episode was directed by James Whitmore Jr. It was his eighth episode out of 15, um... We've seen him before behind the camera with Jimmy, Leap of Faith, uh, Great Spontini, Eight and a Half Months, Nuclear Family. Uh, he will also go on to direct the season five premiere, Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, he directed all three episodes of Trilogy. He would also direct the last two episodes of Quantum Leap, which are, of course, Memphis Melody and Mirror Image. So certainly was able to to put quite a big stamp on the series with his directorial efforts. Um, Don Belisario is the writer of this episode. I don't think we need to say anything else besides <laughs> that. Um the air date was May 20th, 1992. Uh your host, your co-host Sam was 7 days shy of turning 11 years old. Oh. And I, I watched was... and I, I remember watching this episode live. I did. Yeah. yeah. Um and um
0: yeah, this was one of the rare ones that I actually watched live cuz uh typically we would record the episodes cuz dad watched whatever he wanted to watch and then yeah. I would watch them later. Uh like given that this was a special episode i was allowed to watch it like live that night and oh yeah, the, yeah. when when al blinks out of existence and is replaced by roddy mcdowell that was uh, no matter what critical thing we have to say about this episode i will always remember that feeling of like what? yeah um because this was a uh, this was a time when I, w- I was starting to like figure out like The way TV shows worked, and like season finales were like when big things happened, so it really hit me like, oh, they may kill Al off, right? Permanently, yeah. And Dean Stockwell might get replaced, and I was
1: simultaneously terrified and really excited about that. Yeah, yeah. I I completely agree because it, it is one of those elements that you cannot, especially looking back, you cannot imagine the show without him, and would not want to. But while the show was airing and going into the fifth season, there, there was, I think that the cat was out of the bag early enough to know that he was coming back for season five. Obviously it was, you know, it was just a, you know, a gimmick. But I think that, yeah, watching it as a younger audience member and maybe not understanding everything, but understanding enough that it would be, it would be something that would give you kind of like a, oh my goodness, like, are they going to pull the trigger? I'm like, what's happening? Um... Yeah, it it was an experience watching this episode as a kid, uh, and I remember it specifically because my parents, for you know maybe lack of better judgment, I had a TV in my bedroom by by that time. Um, I think I had gotten it the Christmas before, so had been so I'd had it for about six months at that point. Um, and Quantum Leap was one of the shows that you know I always watched, and uh, yeah, I could just remember literally sitting on the edge of my bed and, and watching that scene. It just you know, getting it, but also being like, what the hell is going on? Um, so, yeah, I look forward to talking more about that. But our leap date is June 25th, 1957, and Sam has leapt into Al Calavici. Bingo. Uh, our location is Torrey Pines, California, on a uh, naval base. Um, yeah, we're off to the races, Dennis. Here we go. Uh, TV guide description, or excuse radio. me, TV guide
0: description. Sam, Scott Beckyill, leaps into Al Dean Stockwell as a young. Navy flyboy. That's that, that's pretty straightforward. Straightforward. Too, uh, so this is something I don't remember if I brought this up in our conversation last week, and I'm gonna really try to keep keep myself reading in, saying like this is what we said last week. I'm gonna try to right. choke choke that down. Uh, originally, the idea for this episode was to have Sam leap into Al when he was in uh, when he was an astronaut, when he was in the space program, and to uh, for the episode to revolve around a mission that is grounded. At the last minute, and say I'm working with that situation. But then it came around to uh, becoming about this. Yeah. Hmm. That's, that's fascinating. I didn't know that, actually. Yeah. Uh, but that was uh, dropped by Rich Whiteside at the Leap Back convention in 2009. And Whiteside plays the, the Marine Guard in this episode, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, the ever shadow. shadow, yeah, yeah, shadow. same shadow, yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about, uh, and this is from Matt Dale's book, "Beyond the Mirror Image." What the the episode was known as in other countries? Um, pretty straightforward. And in Germany, uh, Einsprung for Lisa, for Lisa. In France, it was just called Lisa. Um, Italy, it was
1: just called Elie for Lisa. Uh, but in French, it was called My Friend Bingo. <laughs> I wonder if it was steering into the fact that Roddy McDowell was in it. Because one of his early popular films was My Friend Flicka. Oh! Uh, sort of like yeah. That. I don't know. Maybe maybe the French love Roddy McDowell, much as the they French. love <laughs> Jerry Lewis. You yeah. know, like. Yes. The French love Roddy McDowell.
0: And uh, take a look. Where, where does this fall in place in history here? Uh, and this is from Al's Place. Uh, so immediately before this in... Uh, well, also, in June, just two weeks before, um, Sam was in the events of the novel, Quantum Leap the Novel, or Carney Knowledge, depending on which version of you have. And there may be some overlap because the leap-in date for Carney Knowledge is June 10th, 1957. And as I recall, that leap goes on... It's like two two for, weeks or for so. For a couple yeah. of weeks, yeah. yeah. So there's pro- there's probably a little overlap of Sam being in two places at once.
1: Another fascinating thing about the novels is that a lot of the novels took place over an extended period of time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is kind of cool, because obviously in the TV show, generally, we see a couple of days. Yeah. You know, yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, the most previous TV leap was March 1957, The Curse of Tahotep. Uh, And we'll see Sam next in So Help Me God. So Help Me God.
1: That's a great episode. Uh, That it is. That it is. But here we are. Leap for Lisa. Leap for Lisa. We talked a little bit on the last episode about the leap in, um, but I wanted to start off with the fact that it is obviously a little bit longer. um, And we immediately, if if you've ever seen the film From Here to Eternity, uh, I think that there's no doubt that that's kind of the image that they're going for. Um, the, the very famous scene of Burt Lancaster and Deborah Kerr on the, uh, on the beach. And um, also, there, it really made me think, as much as From Here to Eternity can be visually referenced, it also made me think of another um, film, World War II film, In Harm's Way, um, where the Kirk Douglas character, in particular, he has some, a, a rendezvous on the beach with someone, and it is sexual assault. Um, and, and if you've never seen the film, it's, it's a really well done film and it's fascinating the way that, that they deal in particular with, with sex, frankly, mm-hmm. uh, not just with his character, but other characters as well, considering the film was made, you know, in the, in the fifties or whatnot, uh, might've been early sixties, uh, John Wayne, Kirk Douglas, oh, sure. uh, yeah. Patricia yeah, yeah. Neal, um, yeah, it's, it's a good film. It's a really, I, I really like it a lot. But anyway, um, it, I, I think visually there's some cues there that, that it, it's hard, it was hard um, watching it now to kind of divorce myself from comparing the imagery in the, in the opening scene. Uh, of course, we also get Terry Farrell, mm-hmm. uh, in her pasties. Yes, uh-
0: <laughs> uh, pasties. Yes, some some flesh colored things around. Which you know at the time in 1992, it was originally aired, perfectly fine. When you're watching it in Blu-ray high definition now,
1: yeah, those things, yeah. It, it it does it stands out a bit, um, but uh, it, it you know it's it, it's a good opening scene for a lot of reasons because I, I, I feel as though it's it's a a more recent example of the fish out of water scene that we haven't had in a while where we literally don't know what the hell's going on. We mm-hmm. just know that he's on a beach with a woman. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Apparently, somewhere in the trivia, I'm not sure
0: if it's here in the uh, book or I read it elsewhere, when they were filming the scene, there was one wave that came in that was so strong, it actually uh, washed Scott Bakula and Terry Farrell out oh my <laughs> into
1: the water. Lucky uh, Scott. Lucky Terry. Lucky Terry. But anyway, when we come back from the opening credits, I think one of the most fascinating elements of this episode happens right off the bat. It's that Sam leapt into the middle of a dream. Which is really cool yeah. and not something that we had before. And there's some, some you know, fan theories that I've read before that are interesting that talk about the potential for him leaping into Al's dream being because of the fact that they share you know, neurons and mesons, oh, like yeah, they, you know yeah. what I mean, that, mm-hmm. they, that, that he's able to do that because it's Al and that he wouldn't necessarily be able to do that with just anybody.
0: That's interesting.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I mean, we're going to get into the fifth season where he starts crossing a totally. little bit more with, uh, with others. And I think we've talked about it on him before. Um, Don Belisario had in mind when he did Shock Theater, when Sam starts going through whatever. Um, he started to have the idea that eventually Sam would start losing his mind
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, with leaping and like meshing with other people. Yeah, so it's interesting to see how this plays into it.
1: Well, it kind of makes you wonder too, in context of the finale. Y- y- you know, if what if what if he made a leap one day, and then he just was that person for the rest of their life. Oh. You know, and that's why he why why he never returned why he never returned home. That's yeah.
2: some good fan way. Right?
0: That's what you know. We talk about the the, the series being rebooted. Yeah. I love that idea. Right? Of 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 Sammy Joe or whoever or something where they go to find him and his and his memory kind of gets jarred and he's like, "Oh, yes. I was that. Yeah. But now I'm this. But now yeah, I was that, but now I'm this. I'm just going to keep on."
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously, in, in the context of certain elements, like, it would be, you know, there there's an inherent sadness to the mm-hmm. finale, and I think that if we revisited it in that manner, it would also still be sad, but in a way, it would be kind of a nice ending for Sam, mm-hmm. because it would be sad, it would be sad, and there would be, you know, that, that bittersweetness of the fact that he never got back to Donna, or that he never got back to Al to, you know, actually be with Al or whatever, but, but like, what if he what if he just landed somewhere, and, you know, had a family... Had a farm, just lived out a kind of a normal life, mm-hmm. you know, and didn't and didn't have to do any of that stuff. Like gave himself kind of that 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 retirement that thing. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm, I'm pulling up my phone here because
0: uh, a few months ago I read uh, a a fantastic new book that came out. Uh, it's it's it's, a, it's this really great time travel yarn. I'm looking it up here, uh, here and now and then. Okay. By Mike Chen. Okay. The story starts off with this premise. He was a time traveler, very different from, from Sam Beckett, yeah. but he was a time traveler. He got stuck. He started, he just melded into society, which is present day. Yeah. He just melded into present day, and every once in a while he has these weird visions and dreams about being a time traveling agent, but that's just a... But that's just but a, that's, yeah. But that's just like something like in the subconscious now and now he's whatever. And then of course something happens that jars him back sure.
1: into reality. Back into action.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know that they'll give that would give Scott Bakula a way to come back and do a cameo right. and then and then and then right off into the sunset.
1: Absolutely, much like David Hasselhoff did in the new night rider show.
0: exactly
1: Uh, exactly like dude i would not wish what the new knight rider was on quantum leap in a million years that is you
0: know that
1: uh yeah yeah anyway anyway so the dream aspect is is interesting and and i think that um it, it, it it's it's a sign that right off the bat we're getting Some different stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, And one thing that the episode certainly does, not quite yet, but I'll just mention it right now, is that it steers further into the sci-fi elements of Quantum Leap than I think we've really ever gone before with the exception maybe of The Leap Back. Mm -hmm. Like prior to this, a lot of what we've gotten is just kind of standard TV drama Mm -hmm. tinged with this element of a guy who as you know. It's the sci-fi setup for the, Right. Um, but this episode, you know, again, similar to Elite Back, is much more about the, the gimmick in a way. Yeah, yeah. Which I think, unfortunately, is the reason why the episode has some of its its failings is because it doesn't it doesn't give enough weight to what could have been really really interesting, provocative, and powerful storytelling. Yeah,
0: this could have been so good as a two parter. Yes going into a season finale, like, if the episode had ended
1: when with... When Sinjin comes with, in.
0: With, with Sinjin comes in. 99! 100! And Sam and, turns around, and him and Sinjin look at each other.
1: Ah! Yeah. That would have been a great season finale. Absolutely. Coming back in. Ah! But instead, but uh, no. Sam wakes up from his dream, um, There's the, there's a knock on the door... Um, a, a uh, Marine lets a, a naval commander in, um, and a conversation begins that Sam isn't really quite following, uh, and it comes out that he is on trial or will be on trial, um, for rape and murder. And Sam has a really lovely line about, I could never rape and murder anybody and says it in such a way, such a convicted, sort of shocked way, like, that's not me, that's not, it's it's a really lovely delivery. Uh, but it did make me think about the fact that, especially in the second season, we had this, you know, this hint almost of a subplot of Sam, you know, basically becoming a killer. Like, he killed, you know, about six people through the course of the season. And in Honeymoon Express, the assassin, you know, kind of looks at him and says, I can tell by your eyes you're not a killer. Yeah. And then towards the end of the episode, you know, when he kills him, he looks into his eyes and he sees it and he says, don't worry, you'll get used to it. Next time it would be easier. Yeah. And then, and in Freedom, it gets followed up on when his grandfather looks at him and says, I see you've killed, you know, it's, it's, so it's an interesting aspect.
0: Yes. And season two ends with him blowing the two, uh, the two guys away in the bar Who's about ready to blow uh, the cop away in Mia and Sam doesn't blink. No, like he's got the shotgun down at his hip. Boom, boom.
1: And same Nothing. thing. And same thing with Leap Home Part Two when he's in Vietnam. He's yeah. just mowing down people. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah, and obviously, in in both cases, it. it I mean, in all cases, it is in justified as far as you know, TV drama will, we'll, we'll just say justified. Yeah. But it's still, he's still taking another life. And it does seem as though that that that's something that he abhors. Sure. Even if we never get to really explore that. One thing that is interesting too, in that context is that he comes to this point two seasons later, where he delivers a line like this: "I could never rape and murder anybody." Yeah, I think that rape and murder—it's—it's it's the yes, it's yeah, it's it's it's
0: the package
1: deal, <laughs>
0: not just killing people who are bad guys,
1: right? Yes. Um, the thing that I like about that is that it, it, it again it gives us that that person to look up to, the you know the Boy Scout yeah. for lack of a better term, Sam Beckett that is a good, good human being, and I appreciate that, because compared to another show that I that I liked that was post-Quantum Leap, but similar in some ways, The Pretender, the main character and The Pretender, Jared, over the course of the series, he took some really dark turns, and instead of having him remain a bit sort of naive and childlike as he was in the beginning of the show, once he starts getting dark, he gets dark, and kind of stays that way. Um... And I'm not saying I didn't like that. It's interesting to see the progression. But there's certainly something to be said for the alternative with somebody like Sam, who has that integrity. Now, of course, as you brought up before, Dennis, and and it's valid, there's also Catch a Falling Star.
0: There's Catch a Falling Star, which, um, yeah,
1: it's...
0: It's hard not to come right out and say that Sam committed rape in that episode, considering that he very specifically used his position... To have sex with someone who he had a personal history with, and even yeah.
1: yeah, and even if we don't want to call it rape or sexual assault or whatever, I think it's worth. I think it would certainly be worth titling it sketchy yes. sexual misconduct. Uh, yes, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and it is. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. I don't think it is a morally ambiguous thing. I don't think. Yeah. I think it is a bad thing that he does. Yeah, and, I, and I'd like to think that. He would say that, too, mm-hmm. upon further reflection. Sure. And I think that that's why I like this line. Yeah. You know? Um, so anyway, uh, a- after this, of course, um, things start to kind of unfold a little bit more mm-hmm. more rapidly. Yeah. Um, uh, we meet the Hollywood Reporter. She give him a... Uh, played by
0: Larry Brandenburg, the Hollywood Reporter. He's the Hollywood lawyer. Yes. He's, he's coming in from the... He's in the Navy Reserves. And... It's not a major plot point. I just like that little tidbit. Yeah, like he—he's human. He's not by the book. Right, and it's just like a nice little character nugget. Like we get to get reminded every once in a while that that he is—he is not of the Navy world. Uh, and just like the, the like the little jokes and the little tidbits are—they're uh, very sweet. He's played by uh, Larry Brandenburg, um, yes. who's been in a lot of things. That um, you've seen—he was in Shawshank Redemption. He was in Fargo. Uh, he also had a bit part that I recall in uh, The Santa Claus. That's
1: right. Um, Detective Nunzio. Yeah,
0: but he's uh, yeah, he's a good guy. We also meet uh, Chip in this episode, Al's friend. Yes, we do. Uh, played by Jeff Corbett, or at the time, Jeffrey Corbett. Um, he's been in JAG, uh, another Don Belisario series. He's played uh, just a lot of guest starring roles yeah. and things. Here and there. Most recently, he was in an episode of Blackish. Yep
1: on on ABC. Um, lots of yeah, lots of uh, television, um, yeah. uh, lots of TV, uh, um, and and playing. You know, from from the looks of things, if you look at this, he's played a lot of sort of um, you, you know um, uh, people of authority, police officers, yeah. Yeah. military officers, ministers. You know that sort of thing. He's he's had you know, those sorts of um, roles. Um, but yeah a, a, a lengthy you know lengthy career over the past 30 years in, in film and television um and it's it's here that we start to kind of learn even more about the relationship with lisa mm-hmm. who of course is who sam was with in the dream um and chip wants to smuggle al into and at this point as we're noted of course sam has no idea who he is yet mm-hmm. um, and we haven't seen al yet but he wants to smuggle sam into the infirmary so that he can see lisa yeah it's funny because going back to what you were saying, too, about um, uh, uh, Commander Dobbs, the, the Hollywood lawyer. Yeah, yeah. He's, they're not putting anything past him. No, no, no. Like, he knows. he knows what's going on. Yeah. And I kind of love the way that he endears himself to both of these guys. It's a smart thing to do when you think about it by kind of playing along with it. Yeah. Because I think he realizes, it's like, well, this isn't going to hurt anything. This isn't going to, you know, let's let's go ahead and... And it's funny too, because Sam at one point mentions something about a symptom that he's having. Yeah, and, and, and you know, burning point. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's like, are you, "Are you a doctor?" And you know, it's just yeah. kind of a funny, what, yeah. a funny bit. And uh, eventually, they get into the infirmary. The doctor clearly knows what's yeah. going on too. Yeah, before
0: we move on to the infirmary, uh, interesting trivia to to throw in there. In the original script of this episode, intercut with this scene mm. in the barracks, uh, there is a scene that they shot, but it was deleted. Of Bingo waking up in the waiting room and Al standing on the edge of the waiting room and realizing who Sam has leaped into yeah uh, and actually, if you jump ahead to the end of the episode, one of the uh one of the stills that they play the closing uh credit music over is a close up is a close up shot of dean stockwell's face in that scene
1: realizing, realizing yeah yeah
0: um. I wish they would have put that in. That would have been a really well, great... Yeah.
1: Yeah, going back to what we both... I mean, we, we talked about <coughs> this in me. our first our first recording, and you mentioned it earlier, too. The, the need, I think, for this episode to have been a two-parter yeah. is justified in that scene alone. Or not alone, but I think as well. Mm-hmm. Because to have the opportunity to have included a scene like that, to have included some more scenes, perhaps, at Project Quantum Leap with... I mean, can you imagine what everyone else is probably thinking, too? Ziggy, Gushy, Tina. Oh, God. Like, yeah. And imagine the potential for, in an episode that the comedic moments, the couple of comedic moments we get, I feel like, don't work quite as well as they could. Mm-hmm. The opportunity for some comedy would... Just imagine Tina's reaction to a young Al in the waiting room. God, that like, would have been. it would have been a great...
0: I mean, imagine Ziggy realizing who Sam is into, right. and her reaction is to blow a gasket, kind of like any station on the Starship Enterprise does, <laughs> and it just blows Gushy back against the wall. Right. They could just, have done a lot. They could
1: have done a lot. Yeah. Sparks flying. Yeah. But I, I, I think that it is, it is a point that we don't want to belabor, but I think it's worth hammering that this episode... Could have it's one of those rare instances where if you would have had two parts, there's much more that you could have done with it and given weight to certain things Mm -hmm. that don't get it here. Yeah. And one of those things that we're coming quickly to is the character of Lisa. Yeah. It's interesting because we've spoken about this before, but in the context of drama in particular and playwriting Mm -hmm. and script writing, the idea is that you know, if you're if, if you pick up a script. Hmm. and you've been cast, and you only read your character's scenes and lines, mm-hmm. you're missing valuable information about your character. Yeah. Not to say, of course, the rest of the story that you're fucking taking part mm-hmm. in, yeah. but... Bullshit, bullshit, my line. Right. Bullshit, bullshit, my line. <laughs> yeah. But the point is, is that you're missing valuable information that is conveyed by the other characters talking about you. Hmm unfortunately in the context of this episode we don't get to see lisa a lot and even though the episode's called a leap for lisa most of what we learn about lisa from other characters speaking is that she's a beautiful woman that al coveted yeah. that's really about it was having an affair with her husband was cheating on her
0: yeah all together terry farrell is maybe in three minutes of this episode yeah
1: she's luminous she lights yeah. up the screen mm-hmm. like no denying it mm-hmm. this is pre-DS9 yeah um, you know but obviously worth mentioning that Terry Farrell of course would play Jet sure. Zia Dax on six seasons of Star Trek Deep Space Nine um, she would of course uh, um, also have a, a role during the run of uh, the Ted Danson comedy uh, Becker um, and uh, she played Reggie, uh, I think, one of the, the bartender or something like that. Um, and uh, unfortunately, has not really done a whole lot since then. Um, you know, there's been a few things here and there, but um, for the for the most part, um, you know, her career, unfortunately, I think, in a lot of ways, can be summed up with DS9 and Becker. Uh, but hey, at the same time, that means but, she hey, was on TV for ten years. She was on TV for ten. Yeah, had a career. You know, make personal she, appearances. How does she sleep at night? on a pile full of royalty. Exactly. Uh, And if I'm not mistaken, she's also recently uh, married Adam Nimoy, who's of course Leonard Nimoy's son. Um, So, I mean, Star Trek royalty right there. Uh, But she's great in this. I, I, you know, I am a fan of hers uh, in DS9. I think it was very easy, much how... People treated Jerry Ryan early on Voyager to look at her as just a pretty face, mm-hmm. um, and while I don't necessarily think she was going to take home truckloads of awards, I think upon reevaluation, watching DS9 again, um, she does some some really great work, and it's interesting to hear her talk about it because she does not appraise herself very well in those first couple of seasons at all. Um, but I think that there are some episodes where you know she really shines, uh, and in particular as the series goes on, she has an opportunity to do some really cool stuff, and uh, uh, and and create a character, along with the writers, directors, and everybody, and her, her co-stars, too, that, that people mourned quite a bit when they killed her off. Spoilers! Ah, uh, sorry. Yeah. No, no, I say this to someone <laughs> who has uh, started DS9 a few
0: times and just haven't gotten past the first few episodes. When was she introduced? The very first season. She's in episode one. Oh, she, oh okay, yeah, okay. She's so right. The way she said, like, I, I thought, like, but, like they didn't, like, bring her on until later.
1: Like... No, 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 I was talking about Jerry Ryan. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, 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 Because when Jerry Ryan originally started Voyager, everybody called her, like, Star Trek Barbie. They didn't, you know, have a lot yeah. of good things to say about her. But I'm sorry, if you go back and watch Star Trek Voyager, she is by far the best thing about that show. And not just, like, not just her storyline, but even, like, her, her acting. Mm-hmm. Like, she goes toe-to-toe with, the, in, in my opinion, one of the better actors to work on Star Trek, who's Robert Picardo as the doctor. Yeah. I mean, he's he's amazing in Star Trek Voyager, but I think that he so much of what... He has some really great episodes, and there's a couple of episodes in particular that are great Star Trek in general, but I just think that the writing ends up failing his character a couple of times, which Mm -hmm. is unfortunate. Uh, But, hey, when you're pretty and you're dating the producer, I guess they write you better material. Uh, But the fact is, she carried it. Yeah, she was, she's damn good, and I'm yeah. glad that we're going to get to see her in Picard. So. Yes, looking forward to that. We're not a Star Trek podcast. But we're
0: not a Star Trek podcast. Anyway. anyway. Okay. Uh, so yeah, we have the scene in the infirmary, and the the, the important key point that we get is that uh, Bingo and Lisa were together on the night that Marcy Riker was raped and murdered. By the way, take a drink every time in this episode when they throw out the phrase, raped and murdered. Yeah. Um, uh, and so Lisa is going to tell Commander Dobbs to give Bingo an alibi which is the truth, Yep. but then Al, not knowing the full situation, like, oh, I must be here
1: to prove my innocence
0: without getting you involved, don't tell him. That's the
1: important key point. It is. It is the pivotal moment of the episode, and Sam unknowingly blows it. It's fascinating to me. We are four years into this, Sam Beckett. (laughs) Keep your mouth shut. The interesting thing about this leap, and it makes you wonder what the point of the leap was, and I think it's in the title and it's in the resolution, yeah. obviously, but the fact that he could screw something up like this, and it's interesting, and again, I don't want to dog this episode too much, yeah. but the thing that is really great, and I give credit to Don Belisario on, on this for writing this this way, Al is so enamored with his young self in the waiting room that he has not come not to there. talk to Sam. Yeah. So Sam's making it up as he goes along, and he inadvertently changes something that he wasn't supposed to change. And now he throws everything, everything.
0: out of we way. And so we're, gonna, we're not jumping too far ahead because we're about to see Al in the next scene, and we're about to discover who, who Sam is. Let's unpack that. Let's do it. Sam leaps in to young Al... At one of the most pivotal moments at his life up to that point, he is about to be charged with the rape and murder of someone. Don't you think, Al, I mean, there are some key, I mean, I know like 40 years have gone past, there are some key dates that you're like, oh, oh, yeah. June, June 20, yeah, June, June 1957. A lot of shit happened. Yeah. A lot of shit happened that month. Maybe I should go get back to my time-traveling buddy. Right. And give him a heads up to not go changing anything too drastic because it all turned out okay anyway, for him at least, you know, not for Lisa, but right, hey, right. maybe remember like, hey, maybe, he, you know, like he said, maybe he's here to save Lisa from dying in the car wreck. Maybe get there.
1: And that's where we come to, again, you mentioned it just a second ago, but again, we come to one of the biggest issues that I have with the episode. Mm. And it's, it, it's not just with Lisa, it's with Marcy as well, the treatment of both of these female characters, but this is a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. Her death, indeed her existence in the affair, is just a plot device. Yeah. It does not
0: pass the Becknell
1: test. No, no. And we are not given any reason Mm -hmm. to really care about this person other than that apparently Al was sleeping with her in 1957. Yeah. That's it. That Al cared for her. Right. Yeah. But he cared for her. We don't... Like, we do at some point get the sense that there was a bigger... There was something bigger at play, perhaps. You know, maybe he did love her or whatever. I don't know, but... Well, I mean, I I think
0: in fairness to that, we do find out later on in the episode that he refused to be initiated by Marcy because of his relationship with Lisa. Right. So I have always assumed that it wasn't just sex, but he genuinely cared for Lisa.
1: And and yet he's sleeping with a married woman. Who, again, we're told her husband is a philanderer, and so it doesn't really matter, whatever. It... It's just really too bad because I think that in a way to sum up my feelings on the way that this character is written is the fact that the this, this scene, her death scene, in the way it's treated is literally like Al standing there like, wait a minute, when is it? What time is it? Oh no! <laughs> he centers himself on Lisa. The car drives through him off the cliff, yeah. burning flames, and that's it. Yeah. And it's just like... Yeah, yeah. That's about how the character's written. Down in flames. Down in flames. Yep.
0: <laughs> when I was watching this with Betsy, this is something I never thought twice about. Yeah, just because I've, I've lived with this episode, you know, for over twenty years. But just the fact that it's a, it it's like it's a fiery car crash where everything instantly blows up. Betsy was like, that escalated quickly. Yeah. Boom.
1: Yeah. Just yeah. It's your classic '80s television shot, you know. Yeah.
0: I don't don't know if you know
1: this, but if you push a car off a cliff, it might not explode. In fact, odds are it's not going to explode. I mean, it doesn't go off the cliff. (laughs) She gets hit by a truck. She gets hit by
0: a semi. But yes, true. This is something I did not bring up last week, but this is, uh, uh, it's kind of a stretch of a fan wink, but it's a fan wink. We've we've proven uh, back during the lead poem part two in Vietnam that people who are about to die can see Al. Yeah. Did. Does Al cause the wreck by by zapping into existence right in front of her? She's about to die. Maybe that, that anyway.
1: That's a fan like I don't know. I mean it's it is it is interesting to I don't know.
0: In 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 uh, uh, color of truth, Al saves the day somehow at the last minute. Right. Miss Melanie is able to hear him. Yep. Is it because Miss Melanie was,
1: was about, about to die? die? Yeah, maybe. I think, no 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 that, that that is that is genuinely that is genuinely interesting. Like, what if he inadvertently caused this? You know, the the thing is, is it, it creates this like causal loop. You, you know, the idea of. Um, before Lisa to have died, Sam had to leap back in, which means mm. that Al wasn't necessarily acquitted, which wasn't really what happened in the initial timeline. It creates all sorts of weird paradoxical, you know, chicken egg. First, yeah. Have you seen Watchmen yet? The TV show? No, no, no. Oh, I, I know, yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a whole yeah thing like that within the show of like yeah, chicken egg. What caused what? Sure. Yeah. 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 But anyway, Lisa's dead. Yes, she is. And um so we know by we we, yeah, we, we jump through that. Like we do get the cool reveal of of, of Sam looking in the mirror and seeing who a he kick is. In the he Yep. Yeah. Uh Al's going down memory lane, he had Ziggy send him into a cockpit of a of a was it a cougar? Uh of a cougar? Yeah, he's coming out yeah, coming oh, out of the flight Yes, line? Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I never that's realized right. double meeting a cougar, that's why uh, uh, Al being who he is. Anyway, um uh we, we talked about the before we recorded last week. It is kind of... Sam is there for six hours. Yeah. Does look in the mirror. Doesn't encounter his real name at all. Right. That's a little bit of a stretch. Something we didn't talk about was... At one point, uh, at the very start of the scene, Sam says, this guy has more women than you do. And I've always appreciated that line because... I always took from, like, even though we didn't see those scenes, like, I just have this feeling that as Sam, as Bingo, is walking around base, like all the women are flirting with him. Yeah. Just because he has that reputation. Right. I've always found that interesting. Yeah. But anyway, Lisa's
1: dead. Yes, she, yes she is. And, um, um it, well, we do get a couple of interesting pieces of information that are kind of dropped before this as well. Um, that Al was born, um, in 1934, mm-hmm. which is confirmation of the year that he was born. Um, we, we get, uh, I think confirmation at one point that he says 1999, mm-hmm. um, which, depending on what sure, episode yeah. and what day of the week it is, that means that the project is in 99, which also means that he is 65 years old. Yeah. Um, the the other thing uh, uh, about this that is odd is that the um, when he comes back after Lisa's death, there's the line about success has nothing to do with leaping, um, which we have really been taught to the contrary, that success does have to do with leaping. Um and it and, and I, I know that what a lot of people have kind of thought up in their heads, and, and, and I think you've said this too, is that they're perhaps talking about untelevised leaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, leaps that we didn't get to see. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That that
0: could be interesting. Yeah. I mean there I mean there are some episodes where he technically did not Succeed, like that's leap, true. Like Leap Home Part Two, his mission was there to make sure the mission succeeded. He did not succeed in that. Curse of Tahoe Tap. Curse of Tahoe
1: Tap. Uh, black and White on Fire. Right. Yes, great. You know,
0: yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I guess. I guess that, that that is there. I think that the other th- the other thing is that sometimes we're almost led to think that perhaps. um there wasn't a, like, what we thought he was there to do or what they thought he was there to do wasn't what he was supposed to be doing. Sure. Like, for instance, in in So Help Me God, you know, the idea that he's supposed to, you know, save this woman from being executed or whatever, being convicted, uh, but ultimately giving her the reader is what causes him to leap out. Yeah. And so it's sort of like, it's not, he's not just there to exonerate this person, but he's also there to make sure she reads and, you know. And, and sure. So, so I think that sometimes it's, I mean, you could pick it apart, that yeah. element of the show apart for, for days. Yeah. Um, but it is worth noting that that is something that Sam says out loud. Yeah. Um, which also is something that we haven't really heard in a while, that there is a, a greater practical working knowledge of what it is that he's doing and, and, and quantum leaping than I think has been on display in a while sure yeah you know that it's mm-hmm. like that this is that there is a purpose to all of this mm-hmm. which of course plays in nicely with the final season i think yeah, yeah. maybe <laughs> um, um so yeah so this is uh we get a bit
0: uh, comedy attempted comedy in the scene of sam realizing what he has changed in history and now that has put al's life
1: yeah in danger right and now the odds are starting to get higher is not only going to be found guilty, but also executed.
0: Yes. Three to one, he's going to get court-martialed, and if he gets court-martialed, even money, that he's going to get convicted. Yeah. But Al, he he says that he's glad at this, because uh, with Lisa not revealing that they were together the night that Marcy was murdered, then that means that people won't be gossiping.
1: Over over her her grave. And with that... (sighs) I know. Al is off. It's a really to nice... bar. It's a really nice moment. And I genuinely feel like even though there's some interesting stuff, especially visually, that comes out of the officer's club scene, it just still feels out of place. And I've had, a, you know, I've had like a week and a half now to think about that. I'm, yeah. I'm not coming out fresh and, and, and we're recording and you're getting my initial reactions or whatever. Like, thinking about it, I still just don't... It's so weird for Al to go from re-experiencing this important person's yeah. death to all of a sudden just be like, all right, I'm off to the officer's club. I've seen the worst of this time. I want to see the best of this I time. Mean, on one hand, yeah, okay. But on the other hand, it's just sort of like, man, that's, that's a pretty big 180 there, Al. That's a pretty big, yeah.
0: And it's, it's another example of this episode yeah. being rushed... And I wonder, like from a practical standpoint, like Belisario felt like, well, we need if we Al is the conduit to get us from here to get us to this conversation where we get learn some pretty information about Marcy and Chip and Marcy's relationship with Bingo, because we're going to see Dobbs and Chip at the at the
1: officers' club. But it was still, yeah. Here's a what if for you. Mm-hmm. What if out of this scene of having seen Lisa die again, we get kind of a, a morose Al? We get yeah. an Al. Who literally questions to himself, maybe I would have been better off, you know, being put to death or you know, yeah. being gassed or whatever. Like maybe the trade-off, if we could have saved Lisa if it cost mm-hmm. and me, who cares? And what if, you know, Sam kind of has to try to pull him out of that a little bit and immediately thinks of the fact, oh, you know what? My lawyer, your lawyer, our lawyer, is meeting with Chip over at the officers club. Maybe you should maybe you can go and see what they're talking about. Yeah. That's what gets out at of the officers club. Al seeing all of this stuff and being kind of, you know, remembering it all and, and and being around it, that kind of energizes him to be like, okay, you know, there's something to be done here, whatever. Yeah. As opposed to it being this sort of just immediate, like, because it's not even like it's awake. It's not like he's even going to awake. It's like he's literally going to a party. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, you just watched this woman you cared for die yeah. again. Yeah. And now you're just gonna to go to a party. It's still just it reads wrong, and I feel like there was a better way to get to that tonal shift than just being like, "Well, I've seen the worst at this time. Now I want to see the best." You know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I agree. Bam. Yeah. So we get the officers' club. We get the story of how Bingo became Bingo. Right. Right. Um, and yeah, it's a yeah, it's it, it, it's it's a it's, it's a nice little fun scene, whatever. But the important part of the scene is we get the relation, we get the conversation between Chip and Commander Dobbs about.
1: Which is yeah. well done. Yeah. Well shot, well acted, well written. Like, that is, seems an important scene. Yeah. A, just a weird way to get there.
0: Yeah. As a point of note, uh, Chip's relationship and love of cigars has been introduced. Yes. It was introduced in the first scene. It was reintroduced in this scene because we see him smoking a cigar. Right. He's drinking. That will come back into play later in the story.
1: Yeah, and we also get the information that you know Marcy initiated everyone mm-hmm. sexually, yeah. um, the, the new pilots. Um, we get the hint, like, there's definitely some subtext there that Chip might have...
0: Oh, he definitely...
1: You know, well, no, he, yes, he was initiated, but that... Oh, he, oh, yeah. He maybe wanted more. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um. They weren't affairs, sir. Yeah. They were initiations. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we do get the information at this point that Riker knew about it all. Oh, yeah. Which, let's just, you know, let that... Let's address that for a second. The the heavy's name in this episode is Commander Riker.
0: Commander Dirk
1: Riker. Yeah. You might as well have just put like Shatner and Frakes' testosterone together, <laughs> thrown just, in a dash of perversion. Yeah. And you have Commander Dirk Riker. Riker. Which yeah, we yeah, we go into that scene now. Who is played by Charles Rocket? Yep. Who's someone we have seen before. Yeah um he um of course played um oh gosh i can't think of the character's name now uh uh Blake yes yeah Blake Tower Blake Blake Tower that yeah. was his name uh Michael Blake in Michael Blake. in a, a no, little Blake miracle Tower. Right. Yeah. yeah um in a little miracle um which uh it's a good episode and he's really wonderful in it and and, and we yeah. we obviously covered that episode uh before um but he is back now to play a very Different kind of character. Yes. Um,
0: Yeah. 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 Uh, A little bit, uh, this scene starts off with uh, Sam brushing his teeth in the mirror. Uh, A little bit of uh, mirror goof shenanigans. You can see both Scott Bakula's arm and uh, Jamie Walter's arm. Mm -hmm. Jamie, we haven't even talked about We haven't even talked about the mirror image. We haven't talked about the mirror image yet. Jim. Jamie Walters, oh. credited
1: as James Walters. Uh, was, How do you talk to an angel? That's right. Uh, yeah, he was a a had a number one hit. Yeah. back in the '90s with uh, a song called "How Do You Talk to an Angel," which of course was also the, the theme, theme song, song the for, Heights, which was a spinoff of Beverly Hills,
0: 90210.
1: It wasn't actually. It was, was it not a spinoff, but it was the same creative team. But after Did he
0: not play the same character?
1: He did not. Because oh. after the heights went down the tubes rather quickly, I think it had half a season or something like that. Yeah. He was then hired because, you know, they liked him obviously. He was the star of their, their show. They and, they, and his and his music was, you know, kind of doing a little something, and clearly the theme song was a number one hit. Uh, they hired him to do Beverly Hills 90210. They really liked him. He had an album come out at around that time. I think maybe he wanted to leave the show, maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Then they ended up turning this character that everyone liked, including the fans, which on a show like that, it was hard to accept new characters because you were attached to the old ones. Sure. They ended up turning him to Donna's abusive boyfriend. They turned him into a heel. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and so he didn't last much longer on the show. Kicked him to the curb. Although I do think he came back in one of the later seasons. Um... You know, kind of just to show that abusive ex boyfriends can 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 be better people. Rehabilitate, yeah, rehabilitate. Sure. Anyway, okay. uh, but yeah, so so Jamie Walters, he's he's he you know he he fits the bill. He looks good. Uh, it is inexplicable to me and makes no sense and is a terrible decision. The voiceovers overdubbing his voice, yeah, is it just is was just dumb, yeah. I love Dean Stockwell, but Dean Stockwell does not sound like a 20-something Al Calavici. Yeah. And there was... Yeah. And there was no reason for it. If you listen... If you hear Jamie Walters' voice, it's like... It it would have have worked. Yeah. It could have been. I don't... um,
0: It was like lowest
1: common denominator crap, you know? And I
0: I don't know how working in the industry works. Like, I know if you have more than five speaking lines, they have to pay you more by union rules mm-hmm. I don't know how it works if they don't end up actually using your voice like if they don't
1: so they're like, just trying to pay him less I, I mean maybe <laughs> I mean uh, the show bastard, the show was JBC struggling with some Universal. budget thing. Uh,
0: but yeah but anyway before we get to that scene so we have this um, this scene with, with Commander Riker where opened my eyes up so much as a little kid <sighs> Because this is, because uh, basically he, I mean, first off, before we go to the commercial break, um, where uh, Sam reaffirms I did not rape or murder your wife, and he says, "Of course you did, Mister. I watched you do it." Yeah. Foo, look, uh, uh, jets flying overhead is how they highlight any dramatic moment yeah. in this episode. Uh, then we go to commercial, and then yeah, he he puts the idea that like no, he was standing on he was standing on the on the cliff rocks. And he looked down. Watch the and, whole thing. And he watched the whole thing happen. So that's a twist.
1: There's a there's a bit here. I don't, I don't want to dwell on it too much, uh, but I did get an interesting uh, interesting is the wrong word, but I did get almost a sort of a bit of homoerotic subtext coming from mm-hmm. Commander Riker. Yeah, and
0: this I, I think Larry brought this up.
1: No I didn't. Oh you did. Yeah. Oh okay. Okay. Um and 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 it's it, the the thing that's interesting about it is that that was such a trope mm. for these characters yeah. to be portrayed in a negative light. It's like well, what, Oh Larry said it. he
0: wasn't picking that up at all. Yeah. 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 But, then, but yeah.
1: But but, it, but it's it, there's a there's a bit of a leer and a little bit of, you know, encroachment of space that I think mm-hmm. at that time again contextualizing when the episode aired when it was written certainly when it was set that I think would have would have tried to be a signifier of that Mm -hmm. Um, and and unfortunately it was reinforcing you know not even a stereotype because uh, a fiction a negative Mm -hmm. fiction um, that that many gay characters you know, had to, were, were were bad guys. First of all, and second of all, sure. was, it was an element of some sort of perversion, which yeah. he even uses the literal words "perversion." Um, so it was an interesting choice. Um, it's clearly it's not overt. It wouldn't have been at the time anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, this comes on the heels of in the same season we had running for honor. Um, yeah. So it's it, it, it again whether it was intentional or not. Yeah, it it does seem to be there. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah,
1: not a good thing, but
0: not a, yeah a thing, but a thing. Yeah, but the the upshot where we get absolutely laid out is that Riker knew that this was happening, and they both enjoyed it. When there's equal perversion, there's no perversion, just pleasure. Why did you have to say it like that, Dennis? <laughs> I <hope> that <laughs> no, I
2: know. Um, uh,
1: channeling, channeling Charles Rocket, Charles Rocket. What yeah, a name. Uh, rest his soul. uh you know, I, I brought it up last time. I'll, I'll gloss over it this time because, you know, afterwards I thought, well, it doesn't. I don't know how much it fits. But it, it's probably worth noting that this episode came out um, just a few months before the tailhook scandal broke. Yeah. Um, and obviously tales of, of sexual assault and impropriety in the military is really nothing new. Um, you know, even the films I mentioned earlier are films that were made or based on books that were written in, like, the 40s and 50s. And, you know, we're centered around those sorts of things uh, as well. Um, but, of course, with the fact that the show often kind of not quite ripped from the headlines, but certainly, you know, ripped from whatever was in your local cinema or sure. you know, sometimes headlines, you know, they, they would write about those sorts of topics. I think it's definitely worth noting that this, this scandal that would break that would really end up propelling... A revolution of the way that um, sexual conduct in the military was handled, mm-hmm. and specifically, of course, the Navy, and that that would end up being a huge aspect of Belisario's next show, Jag. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- there are so many occurrences in the first couple of seasons of JAG where they're talking about Tailhook. Tailhook is specifically referenced. Red Light, Green Light is referenced multiple times. That there's all... You know, there's... there's, there's, It it, it is a... It it has a presence. Sure. Um, So it's interesting that Belisario would write an episode uh, like this in the context that just a few months later, the story of Tailhook and the scandal would would break. And, of course, the Tailhook scandal had to do with a, a... a rather interesting, uh, party, uh, on a floor of a hotel, um, involving, it was a series of incidents, um, where more than a hundred aviation officers were alleged to have sexually assaulted 83 women and seven men, wow. um, at, at the Las Vegas Hilton in Las Vegas, Nevada. And again, it really did change quite a bit. Now the scandal itself occurred, um, about nine months prior to this episode's airing, mm. but the story didn't really Brilliant. break yeah. until about a year after it had occurred, so that would still be a few months away. Anyway, I, you know, it's okay. just, I think it's just some interesting context for this episode. Yeah. I was just looking up, to see, Jag debuted two, two years after Quantum Leap. Went oh, off the air, yeah. Uh, and obviously, I mean,
0: whenever Don Bellisario wrote about the military, that was definitely in his wheelhouse. Right. So it's always more like, like how much it was like he. You know, like, you know, like this episode, like, was like, you know, throwing around ideas for like a potential new series somewhere involving the military. Yeah, interesting thing about it. Uh, so Al comes back in at the at the end of the scene as Commander Riker leaves. Um, is this the first scene where we're introduced to the Shadow?
1: No, he's been there before, but this is the first scene where we kind of like we actually the see, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. He was, yeah. He's been outside the door. Every that's time right. The door yeah, yeah. You see him standing there. Standing there. Yeah. Yeah, uh,
0: but we get the moment at the beginning of the scene where uh, the marine is first hesitant to allow them to be in the room alone together, and to lo- you know he says, "If I wanted to kill him, I would have killed you both by now." Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so much masculinity, ripping I mean, I mean, off. I mean, I mean, I mean you <laughs> notice like Commander as, as, as
0: Commander Riker leaves, like he does like this. Yeah, he just like stares yeah. the marine down. Like, yeah, what are you gonna do? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Al comes back. They have a brief moment. Um, uh, Al is going to go back and talk to Bingo because, like, he he has some gaps in his memory because it's been over four years. Um, meanwhile, the guys show up, and Sam first thinks that maybe they're bringing the party to him. Al thinks they're, first, they're bringing the party to him, but then they realize that it's not a party. It's a wake. Yeah. They're coming to tell him about Lisa. Yeah. And so, yeah. Now we go back to the waiting room.
1: And, again... It it, it just feels like such a a, a missed opportunity. Um, And and Lisa just feels like such a plot device. Even more than Lisa, Marcy is a character that just... And it's coming, we'll get there, because the injustices towards that character are even bigger later. It it just feels wrong that these... I know they're fictional characters, but it feels so wrong that these women are given such a short shrift... And no depth and no no gravitas whatsoever that we're not that we're not mourning Lisa. Yeah. We don't get to mourn Lisa. It's yeah. not about mourning Lisa. That's what we're told this is, but we never get that, mm-hmm. and that just feels wrong to me. Um, because if you're going to say that that's what the episode is about, mm-hmm. and we have to save her, and Sam comes up with his wibbly wobbly timey wimey way of doing it. Mm-hmm then for fuck's sake, give me a reason to care about her more than the fact that Al was fucking her. Because that's the only thing that we get, really. Yeah. And that, to me, whether it's because we didn't get two episodes and we yeah. just got the one, whatever excuse there is, that, to me, is a yeah. failure of this episode. Yeah. The
0: excuse is, no one ever expected people actually pick the episode apart. <laughs> 25-plus years
1: later. <laughs> or is the excuse that Don Belisario was a misogynist? I mean... Or, or... <laughs> e... Let's ring up Deborah Pratt. Don't yes. tell her what I've said about Portrait for Troyan, But other than that, yeah, I yeah, love let's her, so, it. Yes. Uh Yes.
0: Uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. So I say we're going back to the waiting room, but this is the first time we've ever been. In well, the
1: waiting room. Yeah. In Quantum Leap. Yeah, that's, that's, that is another kind of historic moment. Um, and it, it, I think plays into the idea that Belisario, as I was saying earlier, was kind of steering into some more of the the, the sci-fi gimmicky mm-hmm. sorts of elements. That said, exploring the waiting room and exploring what's happening in the quantum leap project quantum leap present yeah. is a fascinating idea and I wish that they would have done it more often and it's something that we've talked about before. So the fact that we get it here is pretty cool mm-hmm. um, Of course we get those shitty overdubs. Oh, it, it, yeah. It's just, it's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And now, I will say this. Mm-hmm. Technically speaking, they are matched up pretty well. Oh, yeah. They look good. Oh, yeah. Just sound wrong. <laughs> it, it just, it just, yeah.
0: It sounds wrong. And to Dean Stalkwell's credit, like, imagine him, like, he had to stand in a booth, watch the footage, yep. record over it, exactly,
1: you know, I would think probably at that point he had to be a pro at that. Oh, yeah. Like, they, he, they, yeah, yeah, they he were, definitely yeah. overdubbed before. He, You know what I mean? Like yeah. That's one of those elements where when you've got a guy like Dean Stockwell, yeah. like you can kind of just be like, oh, yeah, Dean can do it. Yeah. Do you know? Like, you sure. work with those actors where you're just sort of like, oh, I'm not worried about them. Oh, yeah. You know? It's, like, it, it's just sort of like, yeah, they'll be fine. Whatever. You yeah. Know? yeah.
0: And, and so, you know, we, we, we talked about this last week, and I won't belabor the point. It is kind of weird that The Waiting Room looks like it does because it... It it The way it's laid out, it's just going to heighten the anxiety of someone who's already going to be freaked out.
1: Right, right. Like
0: When I read the novels, I always imagined more that the waiting room looked more like a very nondescript, basic hospital room. Let's make it look as basic and timeless as possible mm. so that they could be anywhere. Kind of like uh, when Captain America wakes up at the end oh, sure. of the first Captain America movie. Yeah. And they have him kind of like, it looks kind of 1940s, he got the radio, but he's just kind of like in this basic environment. No reflective surfaces, so he looks in the mirror and, and sees someone that is not right. him. That would have been more interesting. But also, we also get the cool visual of Scott Bakula looking down in the mirror yeah. in the table at the start of the scene.
1: yeah. Yeah, I, you know, the funny thing is, is I guess I've never given it that much thought, because it's something that never really bothered me. Like, I've always kind of appreciated the look of the waiting room for some reason. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do get what you're saying. And it does make you wonder if in the, if the reboot comes around, or reimagining or whatever the hell they're going to call it, if that does happen, if how the waiting room would be designed.
0: I mean, you could argue it also like the waiting room has this like blue, ethereal, whatever look because scientific, timey-wimey, jibby-jabby, whatever, yeah. like this is a room where leaping happens. Mm-hmm. Someone is always leaping into this room. Right. So does it have to have a very basic layout, like a setup kind of like the opposite of the accelerator? Right, right. Because you're having this, you know this thing happened in there. I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. Um I just remember this just now. Uh Search and Rescue, do you that that quantum yes. novel? Mm-hmm. They, for some reason, they made up a thing that is never addressed, it totally it totally flies in the face of the rules of the series. But in that book, they set forth the idea that the leapy always leaps into the accelerator and then they have to move, move them, them to the to the waiting room. Yeah. And that plot point is what sets up Al leaping mm. in that episode. Mm. And I, that, I do find that interesting. That's a little bit more complicated. It
1: adds an extra step, and I like that. Right. It's You know, the interesting thing about it is, because it, 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 it's funny that you mentioned that, because in my head I was actually kind of thinking about that. I was like, well, when they leap in, they have to leap into the accelerator. But it doesn't necessarily make sense, because then the it would beg the question. It's like, well, if we, if Sam leaps out
2: Mm
1: -hmm. and then the person in the waiting room leaps back in, are we to assume that the empty shell of Sam just lays there for two weeks if Sam's bouncing around in time for two weeks? Or, when Sam leaps out, does whoever's in the waiting room and Sam just basically disappear completely? And then when... Sam leaps back into someone, They, he's in the accelerator chamber again. And then they have to move him. And they have to move him.
0: Well, um, in the novels, because a lot of the novels, they have Sam's mind leap. Right. And in those novels, they do address that. And yeah. yes, it's just the shell, basically the body of Sam is in, a can of, is in a catatonic state. Yeah. They have to shave him, they have to cut his hair, they yeah. have to keep him groomed. Yes. Yeah. Um... In the TV series, the only way they kind of address it is in the fifth season, in Kill and Time, right. when Sam leaps into Leon Stiles, almost immediately, in a deleted scene, Leon gets a hold of a security guard's gun and is able to yield it at Al, and that's how he escapes right. in the first place. So while they don't come right around and say, well, no, they do, and then another episode in the fifth season, you see the leap from the waiting room's perspective. Mm. So yeah the, the the television series through bits and pieces, it confirms that the person always leaps in and out yeah of the waiting room,
1: yeah, which honestly in a lot of ways makes the most sense, yeah, like, as much as as much as it can make yeah. sense. Um, but I mean, it would add an
0: interesting thing of like, no, the leapy always leaps into the accelerator and then they got to move him to the waiting room, and that creates an extra step up of like, okay, we think it's time for Sam to leap. We got to get the leapy back. From the waiting room back into the accelerator chamber because we got to get them
1: well, ready to leap. But my thought would be is that is that that's not what happens. Is that is that they literally that that Sam just disappears mm-hmm. because when the leap out happens, you know the 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 leap effect that we see is is in essence is is taking Sam's physical being out yeah. and replacing it with the physical being of the person he leapt into, mm-hmm. and so that the Sam slash person that he's leapt into in the waiting room disappears yeah. in a flash of leap energy. Sure. So there's no one in the waiting room, and there's also no one in the accelerator chamber. Yeah. Because Sam is flying through time. Yeah. And then when he lands, he, he the appearance of him, lands in the accelerator chamber.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: So they don't have to move whoever's in the waiting room to the accelerator chamber because they're just gone. I gotcha. Yeah. Who cares? Anyway. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah. so we're in the waiting room. We yeah. get the scene between Al and Al. Um, worth noting at this point that, uh, young Al has not figured out who old Al is. Yeah. Um, but Makes this is his uncle Jack. Yeah. 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 But there is conversation here. Um, we get evidence that Bingo's memory is a
0: little bit wiped because he has a hard time remembering
1: Trudy. Yep. Um, um, which is which is interesting that we get the callback to to Al's sister, uh, yeah. which which clearly affects older Al. Yeah. Um, which is really kind of nice. Yeah. Uh, pays you know I think pays tribute to the fact yeah. that we've. It, yeah. You know, here's the thing. I'll say this real quick. I feel like Trudy gets more fucking weight than Lisa or Marcy. Oh get. wow. Yeah. That's yeah. how that's how badly well,
0: written those two are. I'm about to undercut you here. Yeah. This is a tidbit from Matt's book. In the original script, Don Belisario misremembered Trudy's name and he named her Helen. And in the production, they had to the to correct the name. Oh God, don don don. Anyway, um, so anyway, this scene ends with uh, Al turning the conversation towards Marcy, and that triggering a thing with Bingo, thinking like, "Oh, this is an interrogation." And he shouts up at the, whatever the voice is, I didn't kill her. Yeah. And then we cut to the trial.
1: And, and it, it, you know, we also get these moments where Bingo thinks that, you know, somebody's playing a joke on him. Yeah. That this is a trick, that it's some sort of hazing. And then, of course, eventually, yeah, he thinks it's some sort of weird interrogation. Um, the, uh, uh, the other thing that I wanted to add on to what you were saying, too, about Bingo not remembering things is I feel like it's a nice sort of... Subtle confirmation of some of the things that we've posited in the past. That one of the reasons why Sam's leaping through time hasn't caused any sort of big issues was, you know, the the leapy getting back and being like, oh my god, you guys are never going to believe what happened to me, sort yeah. of things, is because they don't remember. Yeah. Because when they're, you know, they they get as Swiss cheesed as Sam does, and then when they get back to where they are the memories of Project Quantum Leap are just yeah. kind of gone.
0: Or they just have big memories of being abducted by aliens. Right. Like like, in like an interview somewhere, like Don Belisario actually said. Right. Like, like, like no, if, like, if you look back, alien abduction like stories started happening in the early 1950s. <laughs> this is what they were.
1: <laughs> right, right. I wrote Quantum Leap to justify or to, to explain away. Yeah. Um, and then we get, yeah, like I said, we get the trial. Yeah. Um, we get some more Commander Riker stuff. Yeah. Which is interesting because here and this is the one thing that's odd to me, and again, Belisario being a military person and having that kind of in his wheelhouse, it it's strange because it either reinforces this sort of like fraternity, this sort of, you know, men's club, boys' club aspect of, you know, not there aren't any consequences, overreaching car- consequences for these things. Like, it's not a case of, like, sometimes we'll see in film and television where it's like, well, you're flushing your career down the toilet. It's not that at all. It's basically this guy getting up there and being like, yeah, I let my wife sleep with all these people. No, I didn't care because I didn't mind. But he killed my wife and all this sort of stuff. And, and it's like, you're admitting this in front of all your peers. Yeah. In this, in and this institution. And also saying, like, he saw the rape happening and, he and didn't it happen stop it happen because she deserved it. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, which we'll get to that in a second. But it, it's the same thing with Bingo and with Al thinking that he had this scandal occur early in his career and it didn't seem to have any effect whatsoever. Now, I know obviously that this is something that they didn't think about when they started writing the show, that yeah. they didn't think about when you know he became an astronaut and he, you know yeah. all this sort of stuff. But it is sort of interesting to just contextualize it in, in that, that way. And Mm -hmm. think about, like, well, it didn't have any impact on his career. Which also furthers the point that these women just don't matter. Yeah. They don't matter because if they're sleeping around, they deserve to be raped Yeah,
0: You only pull the pigtails of the show you love. Anyway. uh, So we get to, uh, we get to, like, the most pivotal scene in the episode. I think this is why this episode is a fan favorite is we get to, uh, we get to Outside, uh, Al shows up, 96, 95, 97, 96, 97, 98, 100, yeah. and as we belabored the point, in a more ideal episode this would be a two-parter, and this is where Episode 1 would end. <sighs> yeah. With the appearance of
1: Roddy McDowell. And the interesting thing to me is, and I know that part of it is probably to generate, help generate tension and raise the stakes, but by rushing through what comes next, we get scant few details about Sinjin and the relationship Mm-hmm. Which would have been really cool to kind of dive into. Yeah. Now, one of the novels goes into more detail about Synchon's mm-hmm. background and, 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 you know, with the project and Sam and et cetera. Um, but the, within the context of the show, we don't get a lot of time with him, which stinks and we also miss an opportunity for Sam to kind of go into full investigative mode because now all of a sudden he's really got to figure out what happened. And instead we kind of get little pieces of happenstance that lead to it. And I think that if we would have gotten a two-parter and if Sam would have been doing that investigating, I think we would have been able to get more time about Lisa and about Marcy that would have maybe given their presence, their deaths, their lack of presence more weight and we would have been able to appreciate them as fleshed out human beings instead of just plot contrivances which is what they end up being Yeah, especially plot contrivances that are shown in such a negative light maybe not so much Lisa because we're supposed to be this idealized married woman that we can sleep with or whatever but like Marcy is, yeah. is, the, is the town tramp who deserves what's coming to her
0: mm-hmm.
1: I don't know Ugh. or even if they would have just done this episode as,
0: as, as one as one episode not a two-parter. How interesting would it have been if we didn't see Al at all in this episode? Or until the very end? Mm. What if, from the very beginning, Sinjin showed up? Yeah. And, said, uh, and he's like, oh yes, you've lived in this young naval pilot, Ensign uh, Calavici, and he was and he was convicted of murder, and blah blah blah. And like that gives us an entire
1: episode of one, Sinjin, and also Sam going, holy fuck. Right, and you know the only the only quibble I would have with that is especially with what the the kind of the rules that are laid out is it would make me wonder if we would get those great moments of Sam starting to forget Al. Because that is one of the things that really does land well in this episode is Sam starts to forget Al. Because if he leaps in and immediately Sinjin's there, is there any reason for him to remember Al at that point? And if he doesn't remember Al, that's fine. That would be a choice. But it does feel to me that if that's the convention we're going with, that Sam starts to forget as it goes away. I don't know. I don't know. Well, here's this.
0: How's this for you? Why does that matter? What if the episode starts off, he leaps into Al? What if the first thing we learned about this episode was that Sam leaped into Al? Yeah. Sinjin shows up. And Sam thinks it's perfectly normal. Absolutely. The only, I people, agree. the only people who know it's weird
1: is us, the viewer. That would have been brilliant. That would have been brilliant, actually. And it would and the other thing that it would have done is it would have helped to establish the relationship. It would have also created a beautiful fucking moment towards the end of the episode when maybe Sam realizes by setting things right, he's saying goodbye to Sinjin, who in his mind The Sam we see in the context of the episode has been the person that's been with him for the past five years. Yeah. That would have actually been really wonderful. I, 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 I endorse that wholeheartedly. And I think that we could have gotten it had it been a two-parter as well if through the course of the second part he did gradually forget Al to the point where he completely forgot Al and we could have gotten a touching scene where Sinjin kind of says goodbye to Sam. Yeah. And Sam's kind of like, what are you talking about, goodbye? And like maybe Sinjin gets it at that point which would have been really cool for Sinjin to not get it at first then to get it and then have to say goodbye. Sure. But again, we don't get any of that. Now luckily what we do get Is Roddy McDowell. McDowell. And Roddy McDowell, of course, is in, in many ways, I think you could have described him as like Hollywood royalty. Not necessarily because he was the most acclaimed actor of his time or because he was the most famous actor of his time, but because he was consistent and because he had such a lengthy career in a career that did have some touchstones, like How Green Was My Valley, My Friend Flicka, um, uh, Lassie Come Home, uh, and then, of course, the Planet of the Apes series, mm-hmm. the Fright Night movies. Like, he was always around. He was someone that was very much, I think, in, in the consciousness of, of the public. Yeah. The um, first movie I ever saw
0: him in was a very forgettable 1978 or 1979 movie called Scavenger Hunt. <laughs> hey.
1: He made he made
0: which, fucking which movies. which was a paycheck movie yeah a
1: yeah. yeah. uh, couple of really <laughs> interesting things about Roddy O'Dowell that I did want to throw out there real quick uh, in addition to his credits uh, is that he um, was nominated for an Academy Award um, for playing um, Augustus in uh, Cleopatra mm-hmm. um, the the famous film with Elizabeth yeah. Taylor and uh, Richard Burton Elizabeth Taylor was actually he was very close yeah. friends with her. Um, apparently his name was left off the uh or no, excuse I me, mean, he wasn't nominated, but his name he was name was left off the nominating ballot inadvertently mm-hmm. and by the time they realized it it was too late and they couldn't like he didn't Fix get it. enough yeah. votes. So it's one of those like great what ifs it's like, well what if? Yeah. What if they would have actually included him on the ballot? Um Because, of course, he did get a lot of acclaim for the particular role. He was nominated for Golden Globe, etc. Another fascinating little story, a little tidbit, is that his home was actually raided by the FBI uh, in 1974. And they seized a collection of films um, from his home because he was basically, by our modern terms in particular, pirating film Mm -hmm. and television. Because at that time, there was no... You know, yeah. there was there were, you didn't have VCRs, you didn't have. So he had purchased, he had taken the time to purchase film collections of other actors to uh, assemble this beautiful library of mm-hmm. film. Uh, but it was technically illegal, and he was technically pirating these films. Now nothing came of it. It, yeah. it ended up being almost laughed off as a joke, like, oh, whoops. But he, yeah, he purchased these, and one of the people he'd actually purchased a library from was Errol Flynn. So he had like a, a you know Errol Flynn's film library. It, it, it kind of interesting. Just weird sort of tidbit. Mm. Here he is, of course, you know, this this Hollywood actor, and he, of course, loves films so much that he had purchased and and created this lovely Mm. library, and then the FBI ends up seizing it. There were no charges filed, of course. Did he get Um, to keep his library, or did they take it? You know, I don't know. It, it was oh yeah I think they did give it back to him because it says okay. it was seized in the course of an investigation into film piracy and copyright infringement. Um, it consisted of 160 16 millimeter prints and more than 1,000 video cassettes at a time before the era of commercial videotapes and when there was no legal aftermarket for the films. Um, but it turned out that McDowell had purchased Errol Flynn's home cinema films and transferred them all to tape for longer lasting archival storage. Jokes on him, uh, but eventually, <laughs> yeah. eventually, no charges were filed, <laughs> yeah. and and so he got to he got, he got to keep the collection. Um, but yeah, you know, just seemed like a beautiful human being. Um, and okay, I'm so sorry. He was nominated for the Best Supporting Actor Academy Award. Uh, for playing Augustus and Cleopatra, however, a clerical error excluded his name from the ballots and was discovered too late after thousands of ballots were mailed to members. So they issued a formal apology. But McDowell never seemed particularly disturbed or upset by the episode. Sure, he was yeah. probably one of those guys that was like, "Yeah, whatever. I don't, you know, it's that 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 big of a deal."
0: Yeah, um, I mean that. I mean, like the Oscars were what, like thirty years old? Maybe I
1: don't know. Four, probably about forty
0: years old. Four years old. Yeah, okay. like Twenty, I mean, was, 20 something know. was Something was one. Hey, though. when you're a class act, you don't. And he really care. was. You don't need it.
1: And of course, his quantum leap connection is that he provided the, the young picture of Dean Stockwell and that was used in MIA. Miami. Yeah, yeah, uh, which is an interesting thing, but makes sense because they did have parallel careers in a lot of ways, both being child actors yeah. at a similar time. You know, coming up kind of in a similar manner. Um, uh, and for, like I think Roddy McDowell is like ten years older than I Dean Stockwell. Believe that I think he is was. correct. Yeah. Uh, six years older. Six, six years, years older. Old. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Uh, we talked about this when we recorded last time you brought it up as far as getting someone that an audience would believe that you're mm-hmm. like, Oh shit. What if they replace Dean Stockwell? Roddy McDowell is definitely one of those names that you would have probably bought. Yeah. Oh shit. They're like, That's they're it. going a new direction. They're doing it. Yeah.
0: And, and on top of that, I mean, even if they weren't going to entirely replacing Stockwell, if you're only going to give someone two scenes and you want to ingratiate them and think like, Oh, like this could have actually been a relationship. You get someone that you already know and that you can buy. And he comes in, and he's like, he's in, what, two scenes total? Yeah. And he sells... The whole the, relationship. And, and he sells the hell out of it. Like, yeah. I want to see, like, this little, like, mini spinoff. Me too.
1: Because, like, he... They clearly, like, you could have seen the relationship. This is going to make for a, a slightly awkward transition.
0: Yeah, you've just gotten a nice audio cue in your ear. This has been the most challenging episode to record.
1: It has, unexpectedly.
0: (laughs) Do you want to explain what happened, Sam?
1: Yeah, so um, I thought that I had dumped all the files off of my memory card on the mic that we use when we're in the same room together, but apparently um, once I dump the files, I actually have to empty the trash. If you forget to empty the trash, even though the files don't show up as being on the SD card anymore technically they're still there so we basically just ran out of room and we lost probably about the last half hour or so of our recording we didn't notice that this had happened we just kept right on talking sure like we uh, do. and uh and so once we did realize that we had lost something we we uh figured it was time to punt Yeah. (laughs) Which is an appropriate term, I suppose, day after the Super Bowl.
0: Yeah. But ironically, we come in just at the time when everything goes blue in the episode and Al blinks out of existence. Right. And we get Sinjin. So this is a great time for us to jump back in.
1: Yeah. And and, and Dennis, you had mentioned, uh, obviously, in kind of talking about whether it should have been a two-parter or potentially being that you know, a, a one shot episode, but having Sinjin be there the whole time and Sam being unaware of who Al is, that sort of thing. But you also brought up something right before we started re-recording, sure. uh, about what the episode kind of does once Sinjin does get there.
0: Oh, you set me up for something. I can't remember now. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> you,
1: you were, you were, you were talking about how it kind of beats you over the head with the fact oh, that that part.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, The way it originally aired, um, yes, I think they spend so long with Sam figuring out that Sinjin is a hologram, that he's replaced Al. It takes him so long to figure it out. And like you said when we were recording this yesterday, that doesn't make sense because Sam is a brilliant scientist. He is the next Einstein. He should have figured it out a hell of a lot quicker. Now, of course... You know, they were kind of doing that to kind of like, you know, bring the audience along and make sure the audience got what was happening. Uh, but in the rerun cut, they cut this exchange down quite a bit. Uh, they totally cut out the part of Sam putting his hands through Sinjin to establish yeah. his a hologram. So this is one of the rare cases where I think the rerun cut gets it right.
1: Yeah, and the episode is actually
0: Sam- stronger for it.
1: Yeah, because sometimes those syndication edits, you lose some really nice moments, and we've talked about that before. I think Thou Shalt Not is an example of that. I think Freedom was an example of that, where the syndication cuts cut out some really nice stuff. Um, but in this case, yeah, it's just one of those things where it feels like Belisario was kind of writing to the lowest common denominator. And I don't mean that, you know, that that sounds terrible, but it, it does feel a bit unnecessary and uh, I don't know it it kind of almost seems like it's breaking the rules of of show don't tell and and, and also it, it dumbs Sam down a little bit to a degree where I feel like especially with what he comes out up with late in the episode to kind of resolve things it's like this guy this guy knows time travel
0: oh sure yeah
1: this guy's gonna understand that once things hit 100% like something might have went a little caca as he says earlier in the episode you know so like it yeah it's something that does kind of stand out and I didn't think about it to be frank until you brought it up yesterday when we were recording originally It, it was something that I just kind of accepted, but as soon as you brought it up I was like, Oh God, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. He's he's brilliant. He should have figured it out. Oh
0: yeah, when we were rewatching this episode, I was just I just said, like, Oh God, get on with it. I get it. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well and I feel like it's at the expense of potentially learning more about their relationship, learning a little bit more about the alternate future that's been created. Because we only get these little hints And while, on one hand, I appreciate the fact that I'm left to my own devices and my imagination to kind of come up with what this alternate future looks like, I also think that it would have been nice to have an opportunity, especially because we know Sam starts to kind of forget Al right away. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, he starts to forget his last name. He's he's, he's losing grasp on Al. And I think that it would have been nice to have a little bit more exploration. And, And like you were saying, if this episode had been one long episode... Uh, with Sinjin there the whole time, and Sam not knowing who Al was at all, and uh, you know the opportunity for some really beautiful moments later on in the episode, in particular, uh, with Sinjin kind of understanding what's going to happen, you know, Sinjin understanding that he's saying goodbye to Sam, even though Sam doesn't really know what's coming. It would have it would have kind of created, I think, some interesting moments, and 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 and, and I, I think that it sacrifices. The potential for that by having these scenes where Sam's like, who the hell are you? You're a hologram, you, you know, and all that sort of stuff. I gotcha,
0: yeah. So, yeah, since we talked about it yesterday, I was saying, like, how would that, how would it, the end of the episode play out where we, where we have Sinjin the entire time and, and, and Sam doesn't remember Al? And I thought it would be been really cool if, like, we get to the end of the episode and however it's resolved in this hypothetical Episode,
1: Right, all these what-ifs.
0: All these what-ifs. <laughs> Sinjin is going, okay, you change history. Bingo doesn't die in the, you know, Ensign Calabici. He doesn't die in the electric chair. He goes on to have a career. Uh, he's POW in, in Vietnam for a while, but then he's an astronaut. And then blah, 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 blah. Oh. Oh. The camera yeah. cuts to Sam, and then when we cut back, it's Al standing there. Right. It's like there's, there, there's not even a good buy. There's like it's sinking in for Sinjin.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: But uh, but then Al's gone. But then in somewhere in that closing conversation, maybe we get the reveal that what if Sinjin isn't the hologram, but Sinjin has been working at Project Quantum Leap all this time?
1: I, you know, I thought about that too, and it's, it's funny because it was something that I thought about after we finished recording, or thought we had finished recording <laughs> yesterday, yeah. uh, and, and you, know, you had left, and I knew that we were going to have to talk about it again, and, and part of me was just trying to keep things fresh in my head so that we could you know, not rehash what we had said, but at least try to replicate some of the, the discussion we should, that yeah. we had, um, and I did start thinking about some new things, and one of the things that I thought about was what if Sinjin had, had been at the project the whole time? but his relationship and the nature of his assignment on the project changed when Al was no longer around. Um, because, again, there's a novel that, that explores this a bit more, but, you know, we are left with so many questions. What was the nature of the relationship between Sinjin and Samuel? You know, what when did they meet? How did they meet? Uh, why is Sinjin the one entrusted with being the hologram? Um, you know... Was there a sort of a leap back situation at some point in in their history of leaping? Did they trade places, you know? And how would that have been?
0: Um, so, <laughs> can, can you can you imagine Sinjin making out with Susan on <laughs> on Lover's Leap or whatever the the place was called
1: in right, Crown point, right. Indiana? Although, hey, you know what? It could have been cool because we could have gotten an episode that took place in like you know. The, the late 30s or, oh, yeah. you know, early 30s, you know, Depression era, pre-war, something like that. A little bit yeah. Roddy McDowell was born. Uh, you know, one thing, not to belabor the point, because we kind of mentioned this before our recording cut off, but I, I, I do think that it, it is worth re-noting uh, that as far as people to, you know, slip into this role and make it their own and give us... A fully formed character in a relationship with Sam uh, you, know, you couldn't have done much better than somebody like Roddy McDowell and as we were saying to get the audience to believe that this is someone that could have taken over for Dean Stockwell as well that, uh, that name and, and that person I think was, was really just a, a wonderful bit of casting um, and it makes you again it makes you think it's kind of maybe some wasted potential that we didn't get more of him
0: Exactly, yeah. Like, I would have loved to have seen, like I said, a two-parter or a longer hypothetical episode. But for the two scenes that we get Roddy McDowell, <laughs> he does a fantastic job. Uh, they do manage to establish some relationship. It's a very paternal relationship. Uh, yes. You know, he, he calls him Samuel, uh, which, by the way, I've, I've meant to bring this up in the last two recordings. Uh, so ever since I've updated to the iPhone 11...
1: hmm
0: uh, it has forced me to change your contact from Sam to Samuel Fane. <laughs> and when I text you, just like, like typing out a text, it's fine. But when I do a voice to text and I try to text you, it, it, it the, the, the Sam versus Samuel screws it up every
1: time. Oh, man. I, I, you know, I understand, though, because, funnily enough, when trying to text my dad the same way, I used to have him in my phone as dad, but now, of course, in, in a similar manner, his name shows up. So every time I'm like, hey, Siri, call dad, I get this response of, who is dad? You know, and it's <laughs> like, uh. <laughs> mm. Anyway,
0: yeah. um, uh, so in this first scene, we, we learn that uh, it's no longer Ziggy. Yep. It's, it's Alpha. Um, and we just get a quick thoroughly line establishing, because it was never been established before how Ziggy got named, but Sam just throws out that, yeah, Al had called her Ziggy, so of course it's a different name. Um, and then we go back. Go
1: ahead. Well, I was going to say, we also get the the drop that Ziggy, um, you know, Sam says Ziggy is a she, which we know, of course, from Lily back, um, but, it, but it may very well be one of the only times that other than the leap back we get that kind of confirmation because alpha is a he mm-hmm. so it's interesting to play off of that dynamic that not only has there you know been a name change here but there's also been a gender designation has been you know kind of reassigned as well.
0: Oh God he, you know um, Matt is always really good with this in his book and, and you're better at it I can ju- I cannot keep track of how often they flip. Ziggy yeah. it, it's, it's a thing that I, I misremembered before we went back and we started doing this podcast. I always remembered that after the leap back, they consistently called Ziggy a she, but they do not. They
1: don't. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it is kind of crazy because it, it does seem one of those things that they have firmly established. And of course, there's all the, you know, we can we can fan wank it to death that, you know, that that Sam's leaping around in time changes these little things. And there's a butterfly effect. And so, you know, the computer... One day is a he, and the next day is a she, or, or whatnot.
0: I mean, what if, what if Ziggy is just gender non-conforming?
1: Well, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and, and
0: and some days she's a she or he's a he, and it, it's and it, it'd be funny if like that really kind of depends on like what kind of mood and what kind of Ziggy you get on that. <laughs> sure, on that given day. Yeah, um, but yeah. Um, so we go back in. We get back into the trial at this point, And to be honest, I am i can never keep track. In the first trial scene, we, we established that Commander Riker saw who he thought was Bingo rape and murder Marcy on the beach, and he let it happen because he thought she deserved it. What do we... What do, I can't remember. What do we reestablish in the second scene? What do we learn? I'm trying to remember.
1: Um, isn't that... At that point... Um... Let's see here. We've gotten Riker's bit, and then when we come back, do we have, does Chip take the stand?
0: No, Chip never takes it. That's what I've always found weird. Chip never takes the stand. Uh, And the first recording of this episode, we touched on that a little bit. Uh, But no, it's just, uh, it's just more Riker. If you've watched yeah. this episode list uh, recently, listeners, and you know, just shout it at us through through whatever podcasting app you're <laughs> listening to. You're probably very frustrated with us uh, right now. Um,
1: well, the, but it, the, the, the yeah, the point is, is oh, that oh, oh, this, it was
0: just reestablishing. Like, are you sure it's Commander? Ra- are you sure it was uh, uh, Enzo Calavici and and Commander? Uh, and Dobbs throws out, and he's like, I could give you a dozen guys on this base who whose build fits Ensign Calabici And Commander Riker, like, reaffirms, like, no, it's the car. It was the car, make and model, yes, the same the car as bingo. It's, it It was, I saw him, it was him. And then Charles Rocket does a dramatic turn over his shoulder to look at Sam, just, yeah. just to reestablish it.
1: Um, and, and, you know, and Dobbs, of course, has also said that he, that even he believes that Commander Riker believes what he's saying. Yeah. You know, whether or not he believes that Bingo is guilty, uh, himself, he believes that, that Riker indeed, he believes um, he saw what he
0: saw. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That he saw what he saw. Uh, but I'm glad you brought up the car, of course, because, uh, one of the, the things that kind of gets hatched between Samuel and Sinjin is that they need to get Bingo, to talk to Ziggy, that's right, Alpha, Yeah, yeah. Um, and and figure out what he could possibly tell them that would help them to establish Bingo's innocence. Um, and, you know, to kind of fast-forward things a little bit, when Bingo does talk to Alpha, um, it comes out that, you know, something about the car, check the car, that's where you'll, you'll find what you need. And so, of course, uh, we also get the great line from Sinjin about... Uh, Al, young Al being taken with Tina, mm-hmm. um, but Tina, of course, is married to Gushy, yeah. um, and uh, and it's so funny because you know one of the things um, that I, I may have already mentioned, and I apologize, but we're we're dealing with all sorts of stuff here, and I can't remember when I've said things and when I haven't. <laughs> um, that uh, that Tina seeing young Al when Al was still there would have been very amusing. Um, Oh, I bet at the end of
0: that that conversation, I bet when Sinjin went to take a bingo back to the waiting room, Tina was like, no. (laughs) I'll I'll escort Ensign Calavici back to the waiting room. Thank you. And I'm going to take my lunch break. Right. Don't page me.
1: They call it a waiting room for a reason. Ooh, yeah. (laughs) Um, And so when Sinjin comes back, uh, Sam... It has to convince his shadow that uh, he needs to go and check out his car. Yeah. Um, and finally, you know, the guard relents and lets him go. Sinjin is with him. Sam's looking through the car, not finding anything at all. Um, and but, and, and Sinjin just,
0: throws out the thing. It, it, we've talked about this before. It's just like this weird thing of like, we, we don't know, but there's something to do with the car that may prove your innocence. And he, and he throws right. out the tidbit like, there's something in the car that's important, but the car itself can prove your innocence. Yeah. And that's when Sam leads down, finds the, the cigar in the ashtray. Boo boo. Bam that's we we we
1: get our owl back. We do. You know, the interesting thing about that too, and just thinking about the way that you know, time travel works within the context of Quantum Leap and this sort of like, you know, the, this causal nexus, if you will, uh, that that we're, you know, creating and and avoiding any sort of paradoxes or whatnot, is that Sam has yet to actually exonerate Bingo in any way, but just the act of finding the cigar is enough to bring Al back. Mm. In some ways, it's almost, it would be interesting to see, perhaps more interesting to see if Sinjin was still around No, I think it works wonderfully and I like the moment I'm not trying to say that it's not a good moment but to me it says a lot that Sam just finding the cigar is enough to bring Al back Mm -hmm. because he's not yet actually taken any action no so you know the the way that the way that this works is it's like it's almost like predestination in a way. You mm-hmm. go back to what you've said before about fixed points. Yeah. And the idea that you know once Sam finds the cigar, it's enough to create this new pathway that it's like time, fate, you know, god whatever now knows that just by finding that cigar Sam's going to plow forward to save Al. Mm-hmm. So Al's back. Um as opposed to like uh Back to the Future, which I think obviously this episode maybe takes a little cue from in a way. um, Because you've got Marty, you know, seeing his family disappear on the picture. He he Mm -hmm. himself starts to disappear even after he's gotten his parents together. They haven't kissed yet, but they're still together at the dance. They're dancing, but he's still fading away. And it's not until they kiss that he comes back. So the interesting thing is, is in Quantum Leap universe it wouldn't have even taken the kiss. Like, Marty would have been just fine the minute that, like, Biff got punched out, basically. Sure. And so it's just interesting to think about that kind of nuance with the way that the time travel works and the effects that that those little changes have on the future compared to other time travel shows. Interesting, yeah?
0: Here's an interesting tidbit. Do you know Robert Zemeckis came this close to cutting Johnny B. Good out of back to the future. That like is almost not at the a last
1: timeline m- I want to live in. <laughs> almost at
0: the last minute. He cut it out because he didn't think the audience would get it. And I wonder if in that version of the movie, it would have been something closer to that. Right. It would it would have cut. Well, from, that's not t- it would have cut from George punches out Biff. They go to the dance and Marty runs off to the to the town square to to jump on the DeLorean. Yeah. Ah. I don't want to live in a timeline. Nope.
1: <laughs> I don't want to live in a timeline
0: so, where that existed.
1: So anyway, now that Al is back, we get this great um but, and it's interesting. There's a couple of things that, that came to me uh, that I wanted to mention um, that don't directly deal with the cigar but, but but are tangentially related. That one of the things that Al tells us earlier in the episode is that Chip dies in Haiphong. His mm-hmm. plane gets shot down you know, while he's serving in Vietnam. And then we get this interesting tidbit here where Al tells Sam that he didn't start smoking cigars until Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And it almost makes you wonder... I'm not saying that this is the case, but it does almost make you wonder if he started smoking cigars as a tribute to Chip. Mm. Like if like after Chip gets shot down, he grabs a cigar, you know, here's one for you, buddy. And that just kind of leads him down the path of tobacco addiction.
0: <laughs> well, does it uh, am I misremembering? Doesn't he say in the scene that he smoked cigarettes? Am I misremembering that?
1: you're misremembering it. He says, he says that he didn't start smoking cigars until Vietnam. Oh, I
0: have always, I, I have always remembered that scene of him saying, I didn't start smoking cigars until Vietnam. I smoke cigarettes. That's got to be chips. Mm. Ah, that's so weird. Yeah. Anyway, that, that was my head cannon. Um, Yeah.
1: You know, something else that's not addressed, which is also, you know, again, if this were two parts, we might've seen is that, um, there's no real discussion whatsoever with Al and Sam about what just happened. Like, Sam clearly has a reaction, a positive, jubilant reaction to Al's return. Mm-hmm. But there's never any moment of, like, you disappeared. Like, you were gone for a while. And I think it would have been kind of interesting to have, you know, maybe a little a little something. Even if it was just Sam saying, it's so good to have you back, and Al just kind of being oblivious to what he means. But there's, there's literally, literally nothing there's just an excited Sam. It's almost like it's almost like in um Leap Home Part One when he hugs his mother and about how it's so good to see her or whatever. Yeah. But there's not it, it, it's it's more reliant on the actor sure. than it is on the script.
0: I'm and this almost, is a similar moment. I'm almost afraid that if they tried to do that scene, it would have played out like Sam discovering that Sinjin is the hologram. It would have been like beating good point it would have been like beating the audience over the head with something I mean like unless they were gonna like really take the time for that to sit with Al like it came so close that he literally blinked out of existence for a little bit right yeah
1: and That's the two point that, yeah nah, yeah yeah uh, anyway the other thing that I kind of wanted to mention is this is this goes to talk about Lisa briefly which I know is kind of taking us backwards but I we did mention about how she kind of resembles Beth a mm-hmm. bit. Um, you know, we, we uh, talked about Al having a type. The one thing we neglected to mention and all of that is she's also a nurse. <sighs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so it's pretty like we're confirming that Al definitely like the impact that Lisa had on Al
0: mm-hmm.
1: is, is, is clearly rather large. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll get to the end of the episode. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But anyway, at this particular point, they now know that the cigar belonged to Chip because, you know, Al says that's the type of cigar that Chip smoked. And now we get a pretty... Fuck it, I'll say a problematic scene. <laughs> oh, it, it,
0: oh, I mean, and we've, we've established this, like the women in this episode exist just for the men. And yeah. just this entire confession, like from where it starts, she was a tramp, a real tramp. But I loved her. Loved her from the first time we slept together. And then we get to the part of like when, when he finds her at the officer's club and she first thinks sees bingo and then she finally gets in the car. I want to be somewhere where I can run naked. That's what she said. Somewhere where I can run naked. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And mind you, this is right after her husband has abused her physically. Yeah.
0: We we slip into like this weird mix of bad Cinemax softcore slash bad film noir writing.
1: Right. And well, and Chip even literally says it's, it was like a black and white movie. You yeah. Know? It, 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 and, it's, and it is in black and white. We get weird again. Even talking, you know, what you're talking about too, this bad filmmaking kind of thing. We get these weird competing perspectives. Where at one point we see Commander Riker's perspective, standing like, uh, you know, at the edge of the beach, mm-hmm. kind of overlooking all of this. It's really weird and confusing. Uh, it's not shot well enough to really determine whether or not Chip is actually guilty of causing Marcy's death. Um, the the sexual assault itself is sort of ill-defined like she, she yeah. does rebuff his advances he does seem to force forcibly take her you know her, her underwear off uh but then it, a couple points, ba- she
0: almost seems like she is into it and it's just yeah and yeah
1: like, and it's a thing it's like
0: are we looking you know chip is an unreliable narrator
1: mm-hmm.
0: was it actually exactly. was it actually more violent it's well, i mean i mean It was, I want to clarify, it was actually, it was, it was definitely violent, but was it more like Marcy was not giving him anything at all? Like I said, whereas the way it's shot, Marcy gives him a little bit.
1: Right. And without, you know, being lewd, I think that one could certainly argue about the degree of activity that took place between them. Right. Yeah, Based on what we see. It's almost like, and this is something I brought up when we initially recorded with Larry at our side. Sorry, Larry. Um, it's almost like a tip of the hat to Rashomon as well because we've got Commander Riker's version of events. We've got Chip's version of events. We've got a little bit and piece and cloudy memory of Bingo, you know, his version of events. You know whose version of events we don't ever get, though? Is Marcy. Nope. And this is the only time we see her. And we've heard from Riker that she's a tramp and she had it coming. We've heard from Chip. In so many words. Without him explicitly stating it, you know, uh, she led me on, she, you know, etc. Whatever else you want to say. She shouldn't have dressed like that. She shouldn't have been naked. Whatever, whatever, you know, the the boilerplate logic that these dirtbags use. uh, He tries to... Offer some sort of explanation for his behavior. Um, And this is... Honestly, one of the critical failings of the episode, in my opinion, is that we do not get a clearer picture uh, or any sort of... understanding of who Marcy was beyond being a tramp, being the initiator, being, you know, this plot contrivance who needs to die in order to move things along. Yep. Um, but it doesn't matter because
0: she's not going to die.
1: Well, right. Exactly. Because as, as Sam is hearing trip Chip's story and, uh, you know, him saying that he was uh, truly sorry uh, and that he was going to turn himself in, you know, if, if, if Bingo had been convicted, um, Sam apparently has a brilliant idea.
0: We're going to put you in the accelerator and we're going to leap you into
1: you. Yeah. Which does lead us to a nice scene mm-hmm. between Bingo and Al mm-hmm. in the waiting room. Um, And, you know, there's this conversation about, you know, how do you know it's going to work? You know, you just got to trust me. Uh, would you do it if you were me? I am you. Yeah. And Stockwell's delivery of that is pretty damn impeccable. Like, yeah. it's a really, really nice moment. He doesn't overplay it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, you know, he, he just, it's, it's a really wonderful moment. And and you can see kind of etched on his face this, this wonderful kind of, this bittersweet almost regret. Oh, yeah. Looking at the human being he was. Mm-hmm. Knowing the human being he is now, and everything yeah. he's gone through, and everything that this young Al is yet to ha- you know have happened to him, yeah. especially Beth, mm-hmm. you know being a POW, like all of these things, mm-hmm. uh, he really packs that moment and that line reading yeah. with all those things, and, which is which is let's face it, I mean it's just a hallmark of of a great actor, yeah, and he and he, he does did, it yeah. perfectly,
0: yeah. I wish we 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 could have seen more of that in the episode. Uh, but I agree. Like, the, like, in so much of the rest of the episode, Al is turned all the way up to 11 because he's freaked out about about the change history. And in the scenes with Bingo, like, he he's just got this very, uh, very nice fatherly feel that we don't see in the rest of the series. But we're going to see more in the fifth season when Al starts talking to guests in the waiting room. Yeah. More often. So... it's interesting right
1: Um, well and, and 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 to just to to elucidate just a little bit more on on sam's plan is that they want to leap him into himself as close as possible to the night of the murder and that his objective is then to not let chip out of his sight and this sets up an interesting conundrum in my opinion because while it makes sure that chip does not rape and murder marcy you cannot help but rest with the knowledge that Chip did indeed rape and murder someone. Yep. And in in my mind, there's almost this idea of well, if he didn't do it then, when would he do it and who would he do it to? Yep. Because that's something that's just that's in him. Yeah. You know? Uh so it it, it it's definitely raises a, a red flag w- yeah. with me. Yeah. And and especially because what happens is we get this knock on the door, um, and Sam knows it's work because the shadow's gone, yeah. and then there's Chip, and there's Lisa at the door,
2: yeah.
1: And it's this—it's you—you uh, you brought this up. It's almost like a sitcommy moment,
0: yeah. Yeah, you it's know? like Frank coming in Seinfeld, yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. You expect the audience applause and
1: and everybody's happy. And that's great. You know, Marcy's alive now to stay in her abusive relationship with Riker. Lisa's alive now to continue this affair with Bingo mm-hmm. until it decides to not work out anymore. And Bingo meets Beth and becomes Al. Uh, Chip is around to now potentially commit another heinous act with someone else. May, you know, I sure. People could probably say we're overthinking it. Oh but, but that's they, what this whole podcast yeah, remember,
0: is. Remember, remember Yeah. It's overthinking Quantum Leap, a podcast with Sam and Dennis. <laughs> uh, and like what we said at the beginning, we we pull the pigtails of the one we love. We we Yes. This would still easily pop up in one of the top episodes for me. I just I just like picking the episode apart.
1: I agree, and it does look. It does a lot for the mythology of Quantum Leap. It, you know, it adds to the to the lore. You know, as Larry would say, it does it does some great stuff. Uh, but I think that it is deficient in some areas that, in the context of twenty twenty, are a little bit glaring, and it raises more questions than it answers, and not in a good way. True. And and so that's the reason why it just it's difficult to be super jazzed about the ending. Obviously I'm glad that Al's still alive, that they saved him, that they pulled mm-hmm. off this plan, but it just... Yeah.
0: Eh, eh, yeah. So, so we get the leap out. Iconic leap out. Iconic leap in. Um, so it's very obvious who is Sam has leaped into. Um, and we are talking about what we recorded yesterday. I have some squabbles with it. I mean, one, um, the leap... In was shot very uh, quickly and haphazardly because it was last minute. Because in the original script, Sam was going to leap into Magnum PI. That didn't come together, uh, so they quickly threw a set together uh, to have him leap into Lee Harvey Oswald. And the thing, like even when I was a kid, I was uh, I was kind of obsessed or enthralled with the JFK assassination. And even I knew that this picture that the setup wasn't Lee. Look, smile. Right. You know? Uh, and so that setup kind of bugged me. Uh, but...
1: Well, I, it's a doctored photo I, 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 anyway, so...
0: Say what? Oh, oh yes, yeah. I mean... Not, <laughs> uh, but it is... Uh, it is chilling the way they reveal it, because they've never done it on yeah. the show before of of cutting from uh, from Sam to a real iconic this happened in real life photo. Um, Yes. I mean, to give me an idea, like when, when Betsy and I watched the episode together, when that moment happened, she was like, whoa. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah.
1: Well, it's, you know, it's interesting because one of the things that we certainly drifted away from was the sort of kisses with history that we had early in the series. That's not something that we've really had in quite a while and we've never had Sam leap into a real life person. Um, and so now not only does he leap into a real life person, but arguably one of the m- most notorious human beings, you know, to ever invade our public consciousness. Um, and I think that it, 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 it is a weighty moment and it's a huge risk because not only does this happen, but it's also our season finale. So now they're going away for the next four months. Mm mm-hmm. And that, and now you, are as a television audience, and I remember watching this as a kid. And again, I got it too. I was a little younger than you were, but like, it's going to be four months before we get this episode. Yeah. And I remember being so excited for the season premiere. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to talking about it. I am too. Um,
0: I want to say I would jump back. I don't think this uh, this version of the TV guide picture was in Matt's book, but I remember specifically in my TV guide. The preview actually, because it was like a half page ad, you know, like they have in the TV guide, it specifically said, I can't remember what the language it used, but basically it said, stick around to watch Sam leap into Magnum PI.
1: Mm, mm.
0: So I was surprised when he did not.
1: No, he definitely (laughs) did not, which would have been interesting to, you know, leap into another, into a fictional character, but, um, you know, one thing that that I want to touch on ever so briefly because we did talk about it yesterday a little bit lengthier is is, is fridging. Um, we yes, didn't yeah, yeah. Need to really touch on the fact that one of the issues I think that we both have with the way that both Marcy and Lisa are treated is that their deaths are these just these plot contrivances, and we saw so much of that. Still see it to this day, obviously, but especially in primetime television during you know the '80s and '90s mystery shows. So many of those shows the impetus behind the entire thing that sets everything into motion is the death of a woman. Mm -hmm. A woman is murdered. A woman is raped. A woman is, you know, and, and and, And it's all about the male angst. Yeah. It's just, and it was a gimmick. And I think that it it, it makes, it makes me want more than ever for these characters to be more well-defined. I want to care about them a little bit more. I don't just want to care about them because Al's sleeping with her. Or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or because this woman could be the reason why Al is put to death. And and, and unfortunately, that's really all they are. Um, and we can romanticize Lisa all we want. But ultimately, we are left with something that feels a lot like fridging, which is the, the term originates in the Green Lantern comic book. Judd Winnick of the real world fame was writing Green Lantern. The, you know, new Green Lantern hit kind of a bit of a skids and sales. They weren't doing much. And he decided that he would have the new Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner, come home, open up his refrigerator, and his dead girlfriend would be inside the refrigerator. Um, and so the term kind of started to rise in popularity. And most recently, it was uh, used uh, around Dead, Deadpool Two, Deadpool Two, um, yeah, because there was some so.
0: there was some press briefing where um, it wasn't just a one on one interview with Ryan Reynolds, but he was like on stage with a number of people and someone. I think
1: called, it was a Comic
0: Con. Was actually. it Comic Con? Oh wow! Okay. I think it was
1: actually Comic Con. And, yeah.
0: and and someone called it out, and Ryan Reynolds was like, "Oh, oh no, I was not aware of this trope, but uh, do yeah." Basically, he was like duly noted.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think carrying on that trope and using it as a gimmick is one of the reasons why I, I, it troubles me a little bit because I feel like it's, it's, it's that idea that the episode has so much potential and I don't believe that it lives up to the potential in certain areas. And I think as as, as as a piece of quantum leap and sci-fi geared quantum leap, it works. But the quantum leap that, in my opinion, that I like the most are episodes like Thou Shalt Not. I, you know, Stand Up is a good example of something that I really enjoy. It's a beautiful little episode, and it's about the people, the human beings. And this episode, you know, leap home. Um, Leap Back, you know, Shock Theater, those episodes are about the people. They make me care more about Sam and Al than I even did before, or these guest stars. And in this instance, the episode doesn't really do anything to make me care or appreciate or value any of these characters, even Sam and Al, any more than I already did. It just uses gimmicks to make me feel... Like these are big moments at the expense of all that wonderful character building and interaction that we get in other episodes.
0: Absolutely. But then on the flip side, how hard did your heart start racing the first time you watched the episode? Oh. 90, 98,
1: 99, 100. Dude it's you know what we have all said larry said this you've said this i've said this it is worth reiterating that our memories of this episode are visceral sure. strong like this episode stands out in your brain is like holy shit it's a leap for lisa it's just watching it now and and you know as a 38 year old man living in 2020 it landed in a very different manner than it did in nineteen ninety two. Um and I would and I would argue that if 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 I was thirty eight in nineteen ninety two watching this episode, I probably would have you know, the geek nerdy guy that I am would have just been like, holy shit because again, the conversation is just different now.
0: Yeah. That is you true. Know, we
1: look at art in different ways. You know, we yeah. look at the way that these characters are treated in different ways. So yeah. So yeah, that's my that's that's my wrap up of a of leap for me. You know, yeah. Pull so the pigtails of the ones I love.
0: <laughs> yeah, yes. And so next week we're gonna we're gonna uh this is such a podcast trope, we're gonna deep dive uh into Lee Harvey Oswald into the episode that Don Belisario promised would never happen. <laughs> are you you know that story, right? No. Uh apparently in the pitch meeting to NBC um, for, for like the start of the series, uh, he was very adamant, like, this is about real people. We will never, oh, have, yes. Sa- we will never have Sam leap into a, a real person. And I think he literally said, it will never be November 22nd, 1963, and the president is coming to Dallas. Well, he didn't live <laughs> up to that one. <laughs> uh, and we will get into all the reasons why next week. Uh, is Whoa. this a good point? Uh, we Should, uh, should we uh, throw in Larry's thoughts?
1: Should we throw it to Larry? Let's throw should, it to Larry. Let's throw it to
0: Larry.
2: Hello, Sam and Dennis and all of you podcast listeners out there. This is Larry Ganey from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, we did try to make this a group discussion last week, but it didn't quite work out thanks to... Uh, uh, Skype lag, so I'm just going to offer my brief thoughts about A Leap for Lisa. I had done an episode of my podcast, The Guest Room, in which I ranked the what will be my top ten Quantum Leap episodes. Um, and I had A Leap for Lisa in that top ten list. I had it as, I believe, my number ten, and... I hadn't watched it for a while when I had made that list, and I think that what I was going on was just remembering how I felt the first time I watched it. Because it's very twisty, uh, it leans into the sci-fi elements, it leans into uh, the lore, if you will, of, of Quantum Leap. Uh, we get our twist with uh, uh, Mr. Sinjin, Uh, replacing Al, because Al is going to the gas chamber, Um, and then Sam has to figure out how to fix that. In fact, Sam has essentially created an alternate timeline in which things go way worse, but then they get better, and I do agree with Sam and Dennis that, you know, the wrap-up, the conclusion of this is a little uh, quick and a little easy and a little unspectacular, Um, I do think that, you know, it doesn't hold up as well as I had hoped, but I still had a lot of fun watching it because it's a fun episode. It's a good episode that could have been a great episode, I think, had the script gone through more of a nurturing process. It does feel a little rushed at times. Or, uh, as I'm sure Sam and Dennis will mention, perhaps make it a season-ending cliffhanger where the final scene of the finale is... Uh, Sinjin replacing Al. And then we spend a lot more time with Sinjin in the season premiere the following season, which I would have enjoyed because I really like how, how little time we get uh, with Roddy McDowell. I really enjoy it. So, so yeah, I, I agree with all those points that you are undoubtedly hearing uh, from Sam and Dennis because I heard them last week, too. Um, I just really... Uh, yeah, I love Quantum Leap and... I love this podcast, and uh, these guys are great. And I, it was it was a privilege to have been on as a guest, even though you have not heard that discussion. Anything else I'm leaving out? Oh yeah, um, Jamie Walters being dubbed by Dean Stockwell—bad idea, bad bad idea. Um, just just let it go, man. Just let him do his voice. He sounds enough like he could be a 20 year old Dean Stockwell we don't need you know 50 some odd year old Dean Stockwell and his gravelly uh, cigar induced voice um, overdubbing it was it just sounded really bad Um, uh, you know we talked a lot as well about you know how the female characters are you know mostly just plot points um, especially Marcy the the wife who was the murder victim who we don't get to know at all and yeah i guess she's saved in the end but you know does that matter to any of us do we give a shit i don't know um but yeah like you know a little like i said a little more nurturing uh and a little more room to breathe a little more character development this would have been much better than it was so i have a fan wink that i'd like to share with you guys um and uh, I came up with this last week during our discussion Um, the reason I think that Alpha is able to ascertain where Sam needs to go and look uh, in this case into uh, Bingo's really nice Corvette um, is that under uh, Sinjin's supervision Alpha is a better computer than Ziggy Ziggy's always getting messed up. They're, they're you know, it's breaking down. It has a, a chip and a this and a that and all this other stuff. And honestly, it's disorganized mayhem at Project Quantum Leap. They probably don't have the resources, and Al might not be the best guy to run a tight ship, so to speak, because he's too busy sneaking off into, you know, the supply closet with Tina. Um, so Chin is probably. Just on the details, getting it done, getting the work done, you know. So we've got a much better computer that has done a better job and knows how to and knows knows what to tell Sam to do. And that's it. That's my fan wank, and I feel very excited that I came up with a halfway decent fan wank. I feel like I am now officially part of the team. All right, so that's about it, and uh, hopefully we can uh, get this together again where I can be back on as a legitimate guest and not as a call-in. So, all right, guys, I'll uh, talk to you next time.
0: And thank you for that, Larry. Thank you for giving your thoughts. And I guess on that note, I think we have pretty much, you know, we've said what we thought
1: about the episode. We said what we thought about this episode three times. We (laughs) did. Yes, we did. Um,
0: and then, you know, we, uh, I think we said this uh, off-mic after we realized how we screwed it up yesterday, but uh, apparently, there is not as well known as the B-Man, but apparently there is a curse surrounding the episode "The Curse of Tahotep." Damn it, you said it, and consider I don't, I don't think it comes down to the name. I think it comes down to the fact that we dragged the episode so hard. And I think yeah. that's why we're having the issues now. It gave us a pass on stand-up, but... Right.
1: Came yeah. back to haunt us with Leap for Lisa. Yeah. Bob, well, Saget, thing-
0: can- Bob Saget canceled out Tahoe Tep.
1: Oh, you can't deny the Saget. You cannot deny the power <laughs> of Bob Look, Saget. I will I will throw this out there. If any of our listeners are interested in in hearing the original recording with Larry, there is a, certainly the potential and the possibility to upload that at some point to hear our original conversation. Just with the caveat, of course, that the sound quality it's, is not that great. It's a rough that listen. we had some issues. Yeah. It's a it's a little rough, but in the interest of of you know just just. Throwing it out there, warts and all. If people are interested and they want to hear, they want to compare and contrast. God knows why anyone would want to. Um, I am. I am happy to throw it up there at some point. But this is the episode we wanted to get out first. Before that, that you know lived up to to our medium standards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, But anyway, we thank you all so much uh, uh, for for bearing with us and and for, you know, dealing with our technical issues and deficiencies, Uh, but we will definitely be back next week with a a jam-packed episode covering Lee Harvey Oswald, Um, so thank you all so much. We're going to leap out of here. Dennis, until next time. Until next time. See you later. Bye-bye.